This is the movie Hall of Fame, class of Alfred Hitchcock again. But this time in beautiful black and white. And there he is across the table from me. The Cary Grant to my, uh, I don't know. Are we doing a Cary Grant movie today? Yes, we are. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cary Grant to my... That was Ingr- Ingr- uh, Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman. Bergman. Yeah, 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 there yeah, you yeah. go. The Cary Grant to my... You're you're the Ingrid Bergman. Oh, God. I feel like you just poison me every time I see you. You're That's just slowly... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have the greater control over here. Yeah. Just slowly handing me um, yeah. poison tea. You're, that's what you you're 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 one of those difficult women that <laughs> stop right there <laughs> sleeps around and stop right there much like Ingrid Bergman herself. Uh, hey, bud, how are you? It's I'm doing good. It's been a while. It has been a little while. Yeah, it's been a while for for a few shows. Yeah, it's good to get back over here and record some audio goodness for all. What were you doing this weekend? Hunting a caribou or something? Hunting moose, meese. <laughs> Uh, yeah, caribou. I was hunting all the things. <laughs> hunting birdies, too, I think, right? <laughs> I was at a bachelor party. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, yeah. My, I've never been to a bachelor party before. This was fun. Mm. Um, and we didn't really do much. We just got fucked up, and that was that. I didn't even get fucked up. I mean, I had, like, I, a, a one night where I drank, and I wasn't even that bad. Uh, and the following day, I didn't drink at all, um, but I did go golfing. Yeah, which is something I would pay a very large amount of money to see. <laughs> Me trying to golf. Yeah, I did. I did okay. Yeah, you're lying. No, I, I know. You're, I, did, I know I did, you're lying. I did all right. I, did. I, I know you're lying. I think, that's okay. It's that's fine. We could talk to the bachelor himself. Well, I guess he's not a bachelor anymore, but uh, we could talk to the guy, and he he'll confirm like, oh yeah, I heard you 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 did all right. He'll say I did all right. You know, he'll probably be nice. Right. And then I will take him aside and, and I'll be like, like, so how shitty was he? Really? How was his short game? After? Oh, God. Yeah. My short game was good. Hey, I, 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 my short game was, was fucking killer. Story of your life. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you had a good time. I had a great. Yeah. yeah I'm glad. While we were neglecting the listeners. Yeah, this I know. Program. Yeah. It's, a, it's a busy June. June This has been kind of tough this year. I don't know why. Listen, we're, we're just two wild and crazy guys in our mid-twenties just living our lives, you know? Just moving and shaking, making moves. Like Cooper Rafe. Just like Cooper. Great segue. Ha. So, I watched a movie this weekend that I loved. <laughs> and that movie is called Jackass Forever. <laughs> and... Uh, I fucking loved that Silence of the Lambs sequence. It, Me it, too. That, it was so... Who was it dancing with his dick between his legs? Like, <laughs> that was like Chris Pontius. Okay. <laughs> Watch Jackass Forever. Uh, Hilarious. The amount of genital mutilation in that movie is... I mean, even by Jackass standards, insane. Yeah, it's. It, I was thinking about this, um, and I'm like, yeah, there, there's, there's no reason why we, we can't stomach all the John Waters films after this shit. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just like, I mean, this is all played for comedy too, like a right. pogo stick to the balls, to the balls. One of the worst things I've ever seen in my life, by the way. Yeah. As bad as it gets. I mean, that whole sequence was bad, but especially that one. Opens with a snapping turtle biting Chris Pontius's dick. Sure. That's also pretty bad. Like Godzilla. Yes. His, his dick is a Godzilla creature painted green, uh, terrorizing a city and shooting jizz all over our main stars. The use of the balls as the thunder thighs, Godzilla's big <laughs> ass, was just, as a Godzilla fan myself... <laughs> Is this the best Godzilla adaptation of the last 20 years? Uh, one of the better ones, I would say, for sure. <laughs> one of the best designs as well. Right. <laughs> it's a genius design. 
Yeah, it's definitely better than the early 2000s Godzilla design. <laughs> It's not even close, right? Well, it's very realistic. They actually used, uh, 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 well, it's, it's real. Sure. I, it's it's real. <laughs> it's practical. It is practically done. <laughs> Dude, like, it's cinema. That movie is cinema. Like, they fucking, you know, they try shit, you know? They go for it, that's for sure. It's just pure... Uh, unbridled dumb fun yes it's I, I i get it's one of those movies where if you were to criticize it i'd just be like what's the matter with you <laughs> right like what's the what is even the point no this is definitely not a group of friends i would like to be involved with at all no there's just not like no there's nothing that makes me think like yeah this would be a fun way to spend a weekend spreading bees all over all over steve-o's penis it's dude fucking there's so much nudity in these i know like this is like you know we were i went this up this is x-rated and it's oh, just like god yeah in a movie theater just you know making 50 million dollars on a holiday weekend well it's because it's these guys if it was anybody else it'd probably be different but it's crazy i went and we watched it again uh not so long ago and with a friend who claimed he liked these movies but he really liked like the nitro circus kind of stuff i don't think he knew what he was in for when i was like all right let's watch the new one and he was pretty baffled by how much nudity there actually was he wasn't prepared for it whatsoever right um yeah lot lot of it it's it's a very gay franchise is what I'm starting to learn. <laughs> it's a gay franchise. Yeah, I think like yeah. it, it may be one of the the great homoerotic texts of the of the last 20 years, the Jackass franchise, because these group of guys are very comfortable around each other's bodies. Yeah. I, I, is it is it home? Is it homoerotic just so stupid that it, you, you know, it doesn't even matter? Uh, I don't know. It's just I just they're just <laughs> naked dudes. They are very not naked. doing anything. I, I guess they're doing some gay stuff. Very. It's pretty gay when they when they like stick shit up their asses and you know it's kind of kind of gay. I yeah. mean, there's just a shot of Steve-O's <laughs> asshole just spread eagle in a in a like a little tub, and his friends are just watching him try to blow a fart bubble. Yeah, and it's like I'm watching gay porn here. <laughs> Look at straight up a guy's ass. Like it's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty horrifying, but it's hilarious. And okay, I will try to make the slimmest of connections between this and, and the other movie that I saw this week. Oh, I see. <laughs> Just in the sense that, like, Jackass is so pure in its comedy, and uh. I don't mean pure in terms of like family friendly or like. Um, you know, uh, non-crude because it is the most crude thing you've ever seen. But there's something so clear and intentional about the comedy. Whereas, you know, in uh, in a lot of other, I wouldn't say lesser uh, pieces of art, but in pieces of art that are try to aspire for something more, often you get into these weird gray areas where it's like, who's in a position of power here over who or like you know who am i laughing at at whose expense what am i trying to say about the world when i make this joke what does it say about me as a person when i laugh at this thing mm. whereas jackass it's so very simple where it's like um. you know uh uh steve-o is the person that i am laughing at i am not laughing with him i am laughing at him mm. and this group of friends have signed a contract with one another by participating in this movie where we're going to laugh at Steve-O and Steve-O is going to be in total agony and it is okay. It is okay because we are all in this together. Yep. There's no sort of moral quandary about about Jackass, right? No. There no. isn't sort of a greater thing. And uh, 
that's kind of how I felt about the movie Cha Cha Real Smooth, which uh, is the Cooper Rafe's um, sophomore effort. Uh, his second movie after his debut in 2020, Shit House, mm-hmm. a movie that we talked about on this podcast as well and that I loved a lot. Um, and, you know, there, there's just no there's no irony to this movie. There's there's just total pure love and pain and, you know, all of the pretty trite usual emotions of, of like American cinema. But it's said in such an earnest and honest and, and sincere way. And I'm just like, man, oh. this is such a breath of fresh air. You saw it, right? Yeah, I did. Okay, what'd you think? It was good. Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay. I enjoyed it. It was a nice, charming little little movie. It's as I'm always I'm always fascinated by filmmakers that start out their their career in movies not making anything that's particularly cinematic they just love writing and they love character work and it's just like here's the story right and that's you know Cooper Rafe's a young guy who's like clearly has no ambitions whatsoever to be Hitchcock or or Sam Raimi or in any meaningful way it's no. just I like Mark Duplass or I like Woody Allen and I just want to do that sure and that's cool that's cool it, yeah. It's 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 nice. I, I kind of it's almost feels like a pseudo sequel to Shit House. Cer- it's certainly, a, yeah. and I, it was it's weird because the character he's playing in this is a little more gregarious than he was in Shit House, but like even still, he feels like the same character to yeah. me. Yeah. So it's uh, so it's kind of fu- funny. Like like Cooper Rafe sort of carving out his own little identifiable niche. You know, uh, for I don't know for better or worse, but it's uh, but his voice is, you know just charming and nice and you know he's very very good at uh dealing with very believable and grounded you know human problems and sort of guiding you into them he's a great guide and someone who holds your hand to talk about these things sort of effortlessly which i really love particularly the um the ice pop sequence which is the best scene in the movie for me yeah it's an unbelievable scene um i don't have like a crazy amount to say about it it's not exactly like the type of movie that I would, you know, like seek out. It just feel if you know, like you said, it kind of feels like very like like I've seen very tried and true indie fare like this before. Yeah, you know, and I I will say it is kind of getting lumped in with a certain subgenre of Sundance movie now. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it won the audience award at Sundance this year, and it got bought by uh, by uh, Apple for fifteen million dollars, and I think wow. it was the biggest acquisition of the festival, and it's now. Fairly or unfairly being lumped in with Coda from last year, which did the exact same thing, Uh, won the uh, audience award, then got bought by Apple and then won the Oscar. uh, That's weird. This feels way more authentic than Coda. Totally agree. In my opinion. (laughs) It's like, and I I don't know, it's got such charm and and, and wit. It's a little twee, but uh, not not in a way that's like bad in any in any sort of way. Yeah, it's uh, it's mostly just Cooper Rafe's voice, you know, which is so like obvious to me now and such a distinct personality. And I guess that's the the, the the takeaway here. It's like, you know, even though like I look at it on its surface and it does feel like a Sundance film, you know, it's just nice that this guy is allowed to express himself and get 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 a, a, more than a few things off his chest, which he's clearly dealing with. Yeah. Uh, just a little context for how I watch this movie. Oh so it's uh, Thursday yeah. night. Uh, the, the Golden State Warriors just won the NBA finals. Steph Curry got his fourth ring uh, and beat the Boston Celtics and any night that the uh, that a Boston team loses a, a national championship. It is a good night. So I was, you know, I was feeling myself. Uh, I was also very ill. I was very sick. I got a cold or flu or something. I don't know what it was, but I was coughing and wheezing and sneezing and aching. And 
it's about midnight and it's about time to go to bed. But then I realize, oh, shit, it's midnight on Friday. What is it? Uh, June 12th or June 16th. Uh, I, I think Cha Cha Real Smooth just hit Apple. And sure enough, there it was sitting for me. So I watched it at midnight. And again, I'm ill. I should be resting. I should be drinking fluids, as my mother says. Uh I watched the movie uh, by myself. Again, I am in uh, so much agony. Uh, <laughs> I begin sobbing. And I when I say sobbing, Adam, it, it is the hardest I have ever cried at a movie ever in my entire life. <laughs> like, um, the type of ugly crying Cooper Rafe was doing on screen in the movie is the type of ugly crying I was doing by myself. Wow. So about an hour and a half into the movie, I am now sobbing and wheezing and sneezing and there's mucus just draining out of my nostrils and it's a tough scene and i'm also like laughing in between because it's a very funny movie too and like there's a lot of good brad garrett bits and i enjoyed yeah. all of that mm-hmm. uh and i'm just again just sneezing and wheezing and I, I i am thinking about my life and in a in a puddle i'm a fucking wreck and i think i texted you and jabril at like three in yes. the morning saying like Ch- i am Ch- a wreck right now. Yeah. yeah and so now it's again time to go to bed at three o'clock and i'm like i i can't I can't fall asleep right now because I'm thinking about this movie so hard. Would you watch it again? I run it back. Ah. I run it back at three in the morning. You pulled a Francis Ha. It's now five in the morning. I am wheezing and sneezing harder now than I was before. And now I'm so fucking wired. I'm like over the hump at five in the morning. You know how you like get like your your second wind and then your third wind if you ever like pulling an all nighter in college or something. And now I it is impossible physically for me to fall asleep because my internal clock has been thrown off so much. Uh, and again, I'm just sitting there contemplating my life. I fall asleep at about 7 (laughs) a.m. That's what this movie did to me. Wow. That's what this... I'm glad you liked it. It sounds like you can't really relate to it in the same way that I did, and that's cool. I think I'm more this character than you. (laughs) That's funny. So I told my, I told my parents to watch the movie, and they watched it, and they loved it, and they're like, this is you. Which I didn't think initially. No, I, I kind of disagree with that. You know, yeah. but my parents said it, so maybe they would know. I, but I don't know. You know, they were like, yeah, the, just the sort of the way that you talk to children and the way that you kind of like, you know. The way you are socially? Yeah. They, they kind of, you know, the sort of like geekiness, the way that I am uh, not smooth with women in any way, shape or form, like all of that stuff. I felt like your character, your character existed more in um, uh, shit house, right? More overtly, you know, but yeah. like not like the the worldview. This character's worldview is a little bit different, you know. Yeah, it's a little it's a little more optimistic, and you know, this is a guy a guy that you know. Well, this is the nicest person in the world. Nicest yeah, that he's nice. playing. There, there is no, there's never been a better person in the history of cinema. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the idea. <laughs> and uh, but but I mean, like he, he has a much greater handle on on his own life than i think you do it take he's he's making mistakes uh yeah he has certain ambitions that that are a little naive but for the most part he's like he's gonna be okay sure. not, well not, thank you Adam. not so much how i feel about you <laughs> a little bit different no that's not what i mean but 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 you but this is not a character that's ever dealt with like an existential crisis in the way that you have in the same way that sure. his character in shithouse definitely has okay Fair enough. I, 
maybe I, I disagree with your reading of the movie then because it sounds like this guy's really going through some shit. He's going through girl shit. I, yeah, I know. Like well, just like it, what other know, shit is there when you're in your twenties? Well, right? that, that, no, but the that's whole the thing. But that's the thing. Like, like his, he's he's got a pretty good handle on like a lot of like like you know. I mean, he's working at a mall food court. I mean, it's not like the guy is, you know, yeah, so is on a, Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are. I, I, I mean, the most telling scene for me for like how he is as a person and how kind of secure he is is when he's talking to D- Dakota Johnson. Well, okay. So this is my the point that I wanted to make that when you said that everybody is. I, I, I um when Norm Macdonald died, I made this video on YouTube about how Norm's sense of humor was so specific that I assumed that I was the only one that understood it. Mm-hmm. And I told that story about how I went to go see him in Phoenix and how no one was laughing. And I was the only one laughing. And it was this like very niche sort of thing that I was engaging with. And then when he died, what I realized is that, oh, shit, everybody found Norm just as funny as I did. And it was this aha moment for me where uh, I, I realized the more specific something is, the more universal it actually becomes. Sure. Right. Because when something is so... Uh, 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 perceptive and uh, so um, you know it, it cuts to the core and identifies something that was always there but you didn't even realize was there you get this feeling of like oh my god it's not possible that anyone else is thinking what what I'm thinking oh, I see. you know what I mean yeah. so when an artist can I can tap into that he can give you this you know that he can give you the illusion of a, of a one-to-one connection but really he's having the same one-to-one connection with everyone and that's sort of how I felt about this movie. Everyone has been in this fucking spot. And I sat there being like, oh, my God, this is so me. Like, down to... I don't want to get into too many fucking specifics. But, like, his relationship with his mother in this movie is fucking identical to the relationship that I have with my mother. Uh, it is precisely the same. Mm-hmm. And has informed relationships that I've had with... Well, whatever. I won't get into it. But I'll, I'll just say there was a lot there that hit close to home. And... What I'm realizing now is the reason that it hits so close to home is because it hits so close to everyone. Everyone yeah. has been in their 20s and been dealt a hand in life that they did not expect. Um, maybe it's, you know, a little less than what they were asking for out of college. Maybe it is exactly what they were asking for, but it's still uh, not all that it, it, it was cracked up to be. I don't know. Like, this is a pretty universal post. I mean, we've been telling these stories since The Graduate, you know, since oh, Mike yeah, Nichols yeah. made The Graduate in the I was going to say, it's but, a lot like The Graduate. It's a, actually a, shockingly similar to The Graduate in many in many departments. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of a quick takeaway that I had. No, and I mean, like, his, his notion of, like, sort of the aspect of him that wants to be older than he actually is with his relationship towards certain women in, in the movie yeah. and how it's like he's he's, you know... I don't know, trying to get away from his 20s when sort of the ultimate conceit is like, no, enjoy this while you can, kid. You yes. know? And that's like one of his greatest like like life flaws that he doesn't understand when to, and you know, and enjoy this type of thing in the moment because it's more special than, you know, he under, understands. Well, and, and also he is in the business of fixing everyone else's problems and starting everyone else's parties without, yeah. you know, starting his own party. Metaphorically yeah, yeah, exactly. And literally in the case of this movie. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I know. Yeah, that, I know a lot of people like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, that just fucking... That hit me. That hit oh. me hard. Um, I see. I see. Yeah. It just, you know, you know, I didn't find his, pro- his, pro- like I said, though, his problems are like, you know, no, I know they're minor. And they're that's minor. what the, one and of the like criticisms the, that I've seen of the movie. And I get it. And I they're guess. also no very defense. easy to solve. And I'm like, yeah, OK, it's like I, I kind of know a mile down the road how he's going to get over this hump a lot of the time. And it's sure. fine. It's fine. It's like, you know, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the kid is fucking 24. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, 
this is a guy right out of college that has made his second motion picture with now movie stars and like a you know big budget and everything. And yeah, I mean, you want to call his point of view naive. You want to call it sort of minor and ineffectual. Like, okay, that's a that's a valid opinion, I suppose. But it's certainly fucking honest, and that's sure. how most people think about their lives and think about the world when they're in their early twenties. And the idea that every movie about youth and coming of age has to be ironic in that like mm. I don't want to take too many shots at Wes Anderson or, or Edgar Wright or whatever but like the sort of like they're saying something about the world by saying something sort of adjacent to their main point and they're kind of using using humor and and subversion and like that's all well and good like that's fine but uh, to, I, I don't necessarily think that cynicism equals maturity does uh, that make sense? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It can't. I guess it can't. Anything probably could in that in that regard. Just depends on how you use it, right? But you know. And this is a movie that has no cynicism whatsoever about it, and it is youthful in its earnestness and, and optimism. But uh, it fucking works, man. And I don't really care if it yeah. fucking works. It works. Yeah, it works. It's good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it plenty. Yeah, can I like I like the movie. Can we talk about Dakota Johnson for a second? Oh yeah, she's wonderful. It's like her best thing she's ever done. I was that was the biggest thing about it. I was like oh wow like because at first I was like well she's really good already but you know I'm wondering if she's you know is she acting depressed on purpose and yeah she, it's that's part of the character I was like hmm, okay right okay uh so I, I I don't know what exactly I thought about Dakota Johnson before this I'm not sure I had that strong of an opinion like I, I, I found her to be pretty icy I would say She's icy, certainly in interviews, uh, and her performance is eh, maybe a little bit, I, ge- I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why that never read as sexy to me, though. Like, I think for for a lot of actresses like that, where they're clearly withholding something <laughs> from you, there's there's sort of an unknowable quality about them that makes them very uh, appealing to me. This is appealing because it's sexy to you? I find this character to be endlessly sexy. Okay. Like, yeah. in a... Maybe again, it's just fucking me and my. Well, there is a sexiness <laughs> to her. I think she's a little more interesting than just sexy. But... No, she's fascinating, yeah, but yeah. she's also very sexy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was quite smitten. Yeah, apparently when uh, Cooper Rafe made Shit House, he took a bunch of meetings, and one of the meetings was with Dakota Johnson. He just brought the pitch for this movie. He didn't have a script done, and uh, Dakota Johnson had just launched a production company. Uh, called Tea Time, I think. And okay. this is their first production. Oh. Um, and so they were like, okay, cool. Let's make the movie. He writes the script. He brings the script to them. And Dakota Johnson reads it. And she's like, this is very specific. And you've clearly like tapped into, you know, the sort of nuances and intricacies of, of early adulthood in a nice way. But it's too simple. And you need to make this more complicated. And from what I understand, Dakota Johnson was very heavily involved in like the writing, the, the writing of the movie and the performing of the movie. And Cooper Rafe just says, like, the character that I wrote on the page was completely different than the version that Dakota Johnson played. Oh. Like, she is the entire character, from what I understand. OK. Uh, yeah. The the way that. Um, yeah. The, the way that that character ends up is absolutely flooring to me like and she's she's incredible in this and uh she has that thing she has that like thing that her parents had and that her grandmother had she just she has that like star power that i 
had not identified because she was making softcore pornography for <laughs> three movies. You know? it, took, it took a while for her to get get into anything interesting. I re- I liked her a lot in uh, Lost uh, Daughter. She's really good. She's really good in that. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean that sort of hurt her career a lot. And you know, she. I don't think anybody looks fondly on those movies. But you know. It, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess you're right. I mean, for me, I never really thought any any one way about her. I just thought, yeah, she's pretty, you know, and she's a fine enough actress, I guess. But yes, you know, I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen her go anywhere, like in terms of like what she's capable of in a performance. And this was the first time where it's, uh, it was completely lived into me. It felt like she had been there before. Like that's the thing about the characters that this feels like something that's very also personal to D- Dakota Johnson herself. Yes, you know? it's like I see the person that's in the interviews now. It's like, oh, there she is. Right. Yeah. So there's a there's an sort of disarming level of like comfort and ease that Dakota Johnson brings to this character. Yeah. So um one more question, then we'll move on because I know oh. we have stuck by Hitchcock today. <laughs> and no one in the world has devoted this much time to Cha Cha Real Smooth. Discord. Terrible name, by the way. I just need to say it's like the worst fucking name ever, but <laughs> So is Shithouse though, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not they're just terrible, terrible, terrible names. So his logic there was uh the in the song cha cha slide the cha cha real smooth section is the section where you do your own thing where you sort of you dance your own dance um, you know what i mean it's fucking <laughs> vague <laughs> well it's like he's learning how to set his own course and you could chart his own path call it whatever the hell you want do like my bedroom then where you just do, you come up with ideas, you do your own thing. It's just call it the room. The room. There it's you just go. The room. There you go. You know? My backyard. <laughs> I don't know. That's a that's pulling at some kind of straw. It is. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I gotta ask you a question. So at the beginning of the movie, there's a cold open where the younger version. I guess here's the the, the premise of the movie is that there's this guy Andrew played by Cooper Rafe. Uh, who's fresh out of college and he goes to bar mitzvahs with his younger brother and he's like the life of the party at all these bar mitzvahs and all like the Oh, moms. I thought you were going, going to like the the the, the well, very cool. I'll go open. back. I'll go back. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, he, all these Jewish moms are like, we're going to hire you to be a party starter at all our sons and daughters bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Uh, so, you know, he's kind of hired to do that and then he ends up meeting this uh this single mom or i guess she's not she's an engaged mom in like her late 20s early 30s and her autistic daughter who by the way is also unbelievable in the really movie. Good in the movie she's yeah. fucking great. yeah i loved her one of my favorite parts in the movie she's so good uh and he sort of develops this relationship with them and she you know he ends up um babysitting the daughter and then sort of becomes uh, romantically involved in a will they won't they way with the yeah. mother uh played by dakota johnson and so the uh the uh, cold open of the movie involves a 12 year old version of our main character at a bar mitzvah uh, who uh, spots across the room a, a woman in her 20s who is doing essentially the same job that he is hired to do 10 years later. Uh, the woman at one point sweet sneaks away to a stairwell and it gets a, a distressing phone call and is seen crying and it seems like she's either been broken up with or there's she's gotten bad news or something. Uh, he spots it, sneaks away. Then the girl comes back and pretends nothing ever happened. And um, eventually, Andrew goes and asks out the twenty-something and mm-hmm. tells his mom that he's in love. Wow, can relate to a lot of that. Uh, can you? <laughs> yeah, at that age. 
off air uh <laughs> goes so he you know that he's like our whole heartbroken and it sort of it tells you that it, because of his relationship with his bipolar mother he seeks out women older women that he seeks as sees as broken in some way and that he can yeah, sort yeah. of you know exactly. be a shoulder to cry on mm-hmm. um there's a song that plays underneath that cold open it's called the show goes on by a guy named lupe fiasco now I had no relationship with Lupe Fiasco going into this movie. At least I didn't think I did. Okay. I'd heard the song. It's kind of like a pretty basic top 40 pop song from 2011. And it's it just like steals the melody from Modest Mouse's uh, Float On. And it's kind of like a... It's a nothing song. Yeah. That I think I remember from junior prom, but that's maybe it. That's the extent of my relationship with it. And I heard it playing underneath this. And I was like, wow, what is this doing to me right now? And then I saw the movie again and I heard the song playing and I saw the scene play out and I was crying hearing the song. Oh, can you tell me what that is exactly? Because it's not a particularly good song. It's not a song I had any relationship with. Is it the equivalent of when... A 20-something goes to see Spider-Man No Way Home, and Willem Dafoe shows up as Green Goblin, and everyone's like, holy shit, Willem Dafoe's back. Is it just empty nostalgia, or is there something more to it? There might, I mean, there might be an aspect of nostalgia to it. That that That's a thought that just crossed my head, my mind, where it's like, well, you know, it, it maybe it's also the type of nostalgia that it is, and that it's not necessarily pretty. You know, there are plenty of like, quote unquote, nostalgic memories and, you know, locations and whatnot where it's like I think back to it and I might get emotional where it's like I remember in the moment it was ugly and it wasn't nice. And there's nothing about it that that at the time, you know, was remotely pleasing to me. But, you know, there's there is I don't know what that is, but there's something about like that memory that shaped who you are in that moment that kind of, you know, is still affecting years later. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the power of that thought, but it's hard. To, it's hard to explain. I feel that way sometimes when I, when I, you know, see like my, the, the, the track uh, at my high school. That's right. A, you know, nothing. Yeah. But see something like that though, at least conjures up positive memories like no 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 no. that's not that's what i'm saying it does no, not conjure any any positive memories yet i yet i still get emotional about it that see that's interesting because i'm trying to figure out I, I was thinking about this actually in regards to obi-wan the oh. show which i think is a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> because now people are watching obi-wan and ewan mcgregor is back and hayden christensen is back and they're like whoa these guys were fucking awesome in the prequels and it's like no they weren't and you remember that they weren't <laughs> ewan mcgregor was the best part of them but hayden christensen was a universally panned performance no one liked them when the movies came out i remember that because i was just old enough to remember that and uh the sort of revisionist history on the part of disney uh, yeah. on the part of that of those member berries to put it in south park terms uh it, it is 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 total bullshit right so I do think there's a difference between sincere nostalgia, which is I'm going to show you something that conjures up a positive memory or and negative nostalgia, which is I'm going to show you something. And just by virtue of the fact that it took place 20 years ago, you're going to be you know excited by it or moved by it. Yeah. And there there is a difference, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's nothing manipulative about it in a way. It's Right. So I, that's what I'm sort of asking broadly about Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Am I blinded by the movie's very shallow manipulations? 
Or is there something more? Because that is the main criticism that I've seen of this movie is that it's manipulative and doesn't really interrogate its ideas too much. And it sort of just shows you shit that is supposed to bring you back. That that's an example of like, I don't know how else you would you would do it. And also, it's wholly appropriate. I mean, you know, in many instances where it's like I had a little bit of heartbreak, you know, there's there's often those situations are punctuated by some asshole in the hallway yelling some stupid expletive. You know, and you think right. back to like, like, it's never pretty. It's not like the heartbreak happens and then you think of pretty music or dramatic music playing. No, you think of like a teacher saying, stop fucking running or something right. like that. No, you and, think of the music that was playing, yeah, which yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be pretty or heartbreaking. Yeah, or yeah. Anything. It's like it's like if you were to equate it to a movie, it would be tonally way the hell out of place. Sure. So, and that's kind of what makes it weirder. And actually, but that's what it does here. Yeah, and it works. Yeah, exactly. But that's but part of what makes it hit harder and like hurt more in a way. So maybe that has something else to do with it okay yeah but it's but again but it's how do you do the scene without that type of music that's supposed to recall you know some of those older memories and you know, sure a- adds to the to the aesthetic of the in the mood of the setting yeah i don't know it's it, it's not i mean i have an issue with nostalgia generally when it just feels like it's shoved in there or forced and it's like it's just cheaply done to get a rise out of people but when it's appropriate to the scene sure then whatever i guess maybe that's what it is it's just it is appropriate to the time and place that the movie is set in yeah like, wh- wh- why not it's yeah. not a big deal much like there's a logan paul reference in the there's, movie yeah there is oh my god there is yeah. it's like okay but well, that's what a 10 year old would talk about on the drive home from a bar mitzvah unfortunately yeah i fucking loved that little kid by the way yeah he was cool yeah he, <laughs> he was, was really great. cool yeah I, I i did want to comment too by the way yeah one of the most relatable scenes in the movie is the cold open for me personally yeah yeah so <laughs> take 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 what you will with that one okay <laughs> duly noted i was like yeah i've been there <laughs> man the guy just cries so much on screen he does he cries so yeah, much yeah yeah, yeah. very yeah it's, a, it's that's sort of what i mean by like there's just no irony to it it's like people actually men cry like that and sure he yeah. has the courage to show it and i think that's that's worth celebrating oh my god the scene when the fact that he's also doing it in his car just just placing a, a man that age in a car yeah crying like that it's like ah uh, how about what the fiance said to him man. when he came down the hill yeah that's a good scene that broke me yeah that was tough there's a lot of stuff like that. You and again, I understand why people could, would call this manipulative. It's but like I said, it's too, it's almost too sincere for me to get mad at. I, I don't think there was any point where I was like, ah, stop it, movie, fuck you. Sure. No, I was like, oh god, your heart's in the right place. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's it. I'm done. We got to talk Hitchcock. It's a good movie. It's a very good movie. Thanks. I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, we're talking black and white Hitchcock movies this week. It's our second installment in a three-part series uh, talking about the master of suspense. Speaking of a guy that is very manipulative of his audience. Yes. Um, but it's celebrated in this case where yeah. it's not so much in uh, Cooper Rape's case. <laughs> I read a review in the New York Times that just got me very mad. Really? Uh, yeah, about Cha-Cha. And I just... It, it happens all the time. It just pissed me off. Just... Yeah. Just shut up. You fucking... Oh, I, I, th- I thought that David Ehrlich's review of Dune was total horseshit. It happens. Yeah, it yeah. happens. Yeah. David Ehrlich did have a great review of Cha Cha, though. There you go. Yeah. Dude, what was what did he re- his review for Elvis was so fucking? It was funny. very good. I was like, I don't, I don't even think I can call this a review. I don't it know was what a great piece of writing. It, it was just, it was just him spouting like, like his his polite euphemisms for all these expletives and what he does. It's just, it's just a train of thought. It's, it's like there's nothing cohesive about this. It's just, I, this movie is ruining the world. <laughs> 
okay. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love that shit. That was funny. Um, so yeah, um, Hitchcock. Let's go through the five nominees here. Uh, Rebecca from 1940, Shadow of a Doubt from 1943, Notorious from 1946, Strangers on a Train from 1951, and The Wrong Man from 1956. Uh, I would call this era of Hitchcock probably not his best but certainly the era that he learned how to do what he was doing where he sort of matures into the hitchcock that we now know we're gonna we've sort of we're moving backwards in his filmography we're doing his british movies next uh so we're gonna see his infancy and exactly what he was doing overseas um but it's a really interesting sort of transitional period between the old hollywood studio system and uh you know essentially the auteur wave that he kicks off with his color movie. Yeah. It is by definition the transition period. When you get to Notorious, Hitchcock has basically arrived. Sure. You know, in the prior two films, it's, there's a you know different conversation there. But yeah, this is that's exactly what this is. And I mean, you know, I mean, you say it's not his best era, and I guess it's not, but it's got my two favorite Hitchcock films. Oh, there you two go. absolute favorite Hitchcock films of all time. Two of my favorites, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how that kind of, you know, de- <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't know. I have my like bleach feelings comparing it to Nirvana. It's like no one really likes that album, but yeah, I like that album. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Uh, here are the movies that we left off. There weren't a, a ton, but here yeah. they are. Nineteen uh, forties foreign correspondent almost made it. It's mm-hmm. a movie that I have not seen, but I've heard unbelievable things about. Uh, we went with Rebecca for that phase of his career. Uh, Mister and Mrs. Smith is a little screwball comedy from nineteen forty one. It's not. Similar to the Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, seen as one of his weaker movies. Mm. Um, again, I haven't seen it. Uh, 1941 Suspicion. Haven't Very seen good. Okay. Very good. Cary Grant and Joan Fontaine, uh, two guys or two actors that he has uh, worked with uh, several times, and uh, they're both really good. Joan Fontaine is excellent in Suspicion. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of about this wife, I guess... Similar to Rebecca, it's a domestic kind of melodrama about this wife who suspects that her husband murdered a guy. Okay. It's, it's really good. Uh, Saboteur from 1942. Uh, Robert Cummings stars. Uh, okay. Very B-movie in its plotting and Damn. in its scenarios. Um, it, it is just inferior to North by Northwest in every way. <laughs> okay. In every conceivable way. All right, it's all basically right. the same movie. Man wrongly accused on the run. It's a globe trotting kind of epic. Okay, ends on the Statue of Liberty. Oh, really? As opposed to the to Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, you remember mentioning this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not bad, but it's it's a trial run for a much better movie that's still to come. Uh, Lifeboat from 1944 is like this uh, limited setting movie. Just takes place on a boat. Uh, the Paradigm Case uh, legal drama from 1947 with Gregory Peck. Uh, Spellbound from 1945, also with Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, another movie that I, I thought about nominating here. Uh, I Confess from 1953. Uh, that's with Montgomery Clift. Uh, I've heard not so great things about it. Kind of lesser Hitchcock. And then, of course, Psycho is not here. But yeah. that's because Psycho was already in the movie Hall of Fame. Yeah, no need. No need. Yeah. There you go. Okay, cool. I'm kind of glad Psycho's not on this, too, because I'd, I would have felt obligated to induct it, even though it's not my favorite it's not my favorite Hitchcock film. Yeah. I agree with that. That's, uh, yes, I 100% agree with that. It would not have been my favorite of but, this list. 
but it would have been the one where it's like, well, I guess we got to induct Psycho, right? Totally. Yeah. And the, which I, I hate when we're put in that scenario, but we we lucked out here. And to yeah, it's still down to two for 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 me here. But yeah, I I, I like that. I I, I kind of know where I'm going. <laughs> I think it's a different two for me. That's fine. But we'll talk. Rebecca from 1940, based on the novel by Daphne de Maurier. The writer of The Birds, the novel, ah. novelization of The Birds, uh, also wrote Don't Look Now, the Nicholas Rogue movie. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Beloved novel at the time. Uh, starring Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine, winner of Best Picture and Best Cinematography at the Academy Awards, the only Hitchcock movie to ever win the top prize, also had a nomination for Lead Actor, Lead Actress, Supporting Actress, uh, the Screenplay, Director, Art Direction... Film editing, effects, and original score. Was a huge Oscar player that year. A self-conscious woman juggles adjusting to her new role as an aristocrat's wife and avoiding being intimidated by his first wife's spectral presence. Uh, This is a movie we talked about uh, before the show, and you said that you didn't like it. So I'm going to give you a chance to tell me why. Oh, God. I mean, you have to help me out here. I don't remember a fucking thing about it. (laughs) Uh yeah, it's. I remember watching it in college and just being like, nope, like mm. no, none of that, like hardly any of that really works for me. Not even the performances work all that well for me, including Olivier. Really? Yeah, I just thought it was very, you know, paint by numbers old Hollywood and not in a very interesting or compelling way. And he's fine. It's just like I don't know. I I had a, had like a certain like that just completely left my head. And I and then. A couple years later, I saw a, an interview with Martin Scorsese, and he was talking about this movie in relation to The Wrong Man. Yes. And he was just saying- A movie that he loves, by the way. We'll talk I know. About in a bit. Yeah. I know. And I'll talk about that, too. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, you know, like, I, I appreciate Rebecca and, like, all of its competency behind the camera, what it's going for. The first time watching it, it's nice. But then, I, you know, I, I, after you know the big twist at the end, it's just not that interesting anymore. And I completely agree with him. Yeah. It's like, I have, I have no reason to really revisit this for- anything frankly yeah it just kind of it just is what it is it's it's strange and kind of moody i guess uh uh but like like in, in the i don't know the aura or the, the the realm of hitchcock films that like are going for these you know amazing cinematic set pieces or, or ideas particularly when he compared it to the wrong man he's like i mean is there anything in the wrong man or is there anything in rebecca that's as interesting as the scene where he goes into the bank and they think it's him even though it's not him you know, and there's that movie's just filled with sequences like that. And it's like, yeah, no, that's kind of what I go to the movies for. And it kind of helps, uh, um, I guess, form the not form a basis, but give me a greater understanding of what I look for in movies as well. And I was like, yeah, Rebecca's just not what I look for when I watch a movie. Yeah, maybe maybe this is what you're responding to negatively. And tell me if I'm wrong. But is it possible that this is? a Hitchcock movie that still feels trapped in old Hollywood and, and does not sort of feel like a specifically Hitchcock vehicle. Is doesn't, that what's bothering you? It doesn't feel much like a, much of a movie to me sometimes. Really? <laughs> Go, see, to me, it does feel very much like a movie movie in the traditional sense where it's like two beautiful people, big movie stars at the time yeah. in a giant house, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and there's like a lot of great costuming and there's a lot of big set pieces and it, and even the ending too, where if I'm being honest, the movie kind of grinds to a screeching halt after the twist and it becomes like a sort of legal thriller courtroom drama. Like it, it definitely to me feels like uh, a studio 
put this thing together and the director just came in to babysit. Yeah. And um, that I know for a fact was the case with David Selznick, who, uh, you know, was the producer behind Gone with the Wind and was mm. like at the top of the world at the time, like a young Hollywood producer, I think ran his own studio in his 20s. Like that's wow. how hot this guy was. Uh, brings Hitchcock over from the UK. This is his first American production. Yep. Rebecca. That's right. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it takes place in England, but it's filmed here in Hollywood. Um, and they fought a lot. The two of them, they clashed. He, he uh, Selznick ends up signing Hitchcock to a seven picture deal and they just never get along at any point. Selznick barred Hitchcock from the scripting process of this movie and Hitchcock barred Selznick from the set. Like they just, he did not want him fucking with his story and the other guy did not want him fucking with his set. Um, so there was a lot of tension and there is, you know, um, you know, there are many stories written about urban legends about uh, these two uh, men's collaboration. And I do, I feel that tension in this movie for sure. Like, yeah. I, I do feel Hitchcock straining to put his stamp on on a machine that is almost bigger than him. Mm. Uh, and it, it only takes till Shadow of a Doubt, really, where he gets there and he's able to sort of have fun. Um, that being said, considering it as a Hollywood product, I really fucking liked it. I liked um. it a lot. And I liked the little flourishes that Hitchcock throws in there. It is a, a a ghost story without a literal ghost, right? Yeah, it's yeah, a haunted house movie without you know the literal embodiment of the ex-wife popping in and 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 haunting you. Uh, you know, th- there is that aura that that um, is is on top of this thing that is not there for the Ben Wheatley remake from a few years ago, a movie that I saw actually before watching this. And that movie just doesn't work because it just doesn't it doesn't nail the horror elements. It doesn't nail the sort of macabre. Um, you know, gothic romance elements. It's, Does this one? I would say so. I would say more than that, at least. Maybe I'm comparing I, it to a very low no, bar. But I find this movie fiercely boring. Okay, in a way that Hitchcock films simply aren't. And honestly, in a way, movies of this time aren't either. Okay, I don't. Th- I didn't. I didn't. F- I I didn't find anything particularly grabbing or moving in this movie. Even the backstory with Rebecca. Uh, yeah, yeah, dude, it's just I don't I, I you you really have to take the reins for this one. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> I don't know. I really like it. I, yeah. I, I I didn't expect to like it as much as I did because yeah. it's not my kind of movie. Um, and I didn't like that remake at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's interesting that you say that not knowing the twist ruins it for you or knowing the twist ruins it for you because I did know the twist and I still got into it again. The third act, it really comes to a screeching halt. And yeah. once you know what the movie is all about, once Olivier sort of, you know, spills the beans, it's oh, all right. Just like a kind of run of the mill. Will he get away with it? Won't we, he get away with it? Legal. Sure, story. sure. And it's really fucking stiff. It's yeah. really fucking stiff. In, I feel, I feel that way about act. the whole movie, though. But I do mm-hmm. think like the stuff with the the um, with uh, what, what's the name of the character? The the character played by Judith Anderson. The, the head the maid maid yeah. person yeah i think is really effective i think you know just the 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 scope of the house just mrs de winter walking through the house and feeling like smothered by it yeah is like really effective it it is the most overt horror movie of this era of hitchcock and it's so. and it's not even close maybe it's not like pure like jump scares but again there is a macabre sort of you know, a 
there's a there's a, a chilliness to the movie that yeah, I found yeah, really that. effective. Yeah. Um, but as you said, it is the least Hitchcock of the era for sure. Um, and it, uh, you know, it, it, for example, right? There's like a VO at the beginning of the movie. Mm. Is there VO in any other Hitchcock movie? Can you think of one? The Wrong Man. Is there VO? In oh, that? VO. I thought you yeah. said PO. I think no, PO, VO. POV. Oh, v- VO. Is there any? I guess at the end of Psycho, there's voiceover when. Yeah. You, you mean someone else's V, not narration? No, I mean narration. I mean literal narration. I don't think there is one. Uh, I feel like there definitely must be, right? Uh,. No, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I can't think of one, no. but that like that's something that clearly Hitchcock wasn't particularly interested in, and it's used here because it's based on a big novel, and they're just trying to make the movie feel more like a novel, okay. you know. So like there was stuff in there that's like, well, this is just not something he would have done five to ten years after this, no. and it would have been a much different movie. I still think it's pretty good, though. I do. I th- I think it's pretty good. Um, Mrs. Danvers is the name of the maid. And like she's never really seen walking throughout the movie. She just sort of glides the way that Hitchcock shoots her. It's always like torso and above. Yeah. So she just sort of pops into rooms like a like a like a ghoul. <laughs> uh, and I really liked that. Um, yeah. I don't know. Mm, hasn't hasn't aged so well for me. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I'm just kind of, you know, I, I can't even really say I'm muted on. I just, you know, have no interest in the movie. OK. Yeah. Great job. Great job bringing yeah, the heat got, got on this nothing, one. Got nothing for Rebecca. <laughs> Screw Rebecca. Screw Becky. Screw Becky, yeah. I got I got nothing. Oh, and the performances are really good. I want to yeah. say that too. I like the performances a yeah. lot. <laughs> I didn't want yeah, because I Joan Fontaine's really good. I didn't I didn't want it nominated because it's like, really? We're gonna talk about Rebecca? Why? <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> what is what do you have to say about rebecca i just had 10 minutes of things to say not much to say you end up 30 seconds yeah you talked about how the house is oppressive whoopty fucking do <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man it's a nothing movie whatever it's nothing it's fine <laughs> most of it is like silence of <laughs> me being like okay all right sounds fine what else do we got? said the house was impressive <laughs> that's a nice house add this to the collection of good movie houses <laughs> sorry all you lovers of Rebecca I'm not much of a fan I like it I like it let's move on <laughs> that was good Shadow of a Doubt from 1943 written by uh, Thornton Wilder Sally Benson and Alma Reville, Alfred Hitchcock's wife. Oh, cool. Starring Tessa Wright and Joseph Cotton. Nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. A teenage girl overjoyed with her favorite uncle when her favorite uncle comes to visit the family in their quiet California town, slowly begins to suspect that he is, in fact, the Merry Widow Killer sought by the authorities. This is often cited as Hitchcock's favorite movie of his own. Okay. Uh, I had not seen it until just now. Yeah, me neither. What'd you think? I didn't like it. All that really? Much, all that much. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yeah. What's happening here? Yeah, pretty fucking boring, bro. What? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's one of those like we're making a movie about this shit. What? What? About like just the entire time we, you know, mildly suspect that the guy's the killer, and then like he's the killer. I guess you're definitely the killer, right? Yeah, I think you're the killer. And then the movie is just the repetitive action of being like, I think he's the killer. I think he's the, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the killer. Don't tell nobody. <laughs> what is this movie? It's got like no forward thrust. It's got, it's got no energy. Dude. I, I don't give a shit about this movie. <laughs> Dude, they should hire you at Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> and you should do like the little interstitials they do. <laughs> In between, <laughs> like today, it's a, 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 a we, Turner Classic Movies presents Bridge on the River Kwai. <laughs> they build and Adam's a bridge. just like it's a fucking bridge. They just build a fucking bridge. Goes up. over the river and the river goes fast, and, and they fucking they, sail down the river. They blow it up. It's like yeah, it's cool. They blew up the bridge. It was, it was really nice. Hey, it's Obi Wan Kenobi. And it's like, <laughs> That's a great movie. It's the fucking most muted. <laughs> Wow. I was uh, falling asleep by this one. Wow. My God, I couldn't wait to get out of this movie. I thought the ending sucked. Uh, I thought it was a, a whole, like, this might be my least favorite one on the list. As, wow. As yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it's like the weakest ending I've seen. It's not particularly well executed. I, 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 I like the, the, the performance by the, 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 the guy, the main guy. Joseph Cott. Is occasionally creepy. I kind of, I kind of like aspects of the way he's implemented and I like his monologue about the widows. I, I think that's kind of fun. I know it's like really corny and on the I, nose, I but it's fun. Yeah. It's kind of fun like old schlocky Hollywood stuff. I suppose it's the the world is just filled with pigs. They just sit all day. The pigs <laughs> Like Orson Welles did it better in the third man. Yeah, good point. I, I I just I just like I was waiting for something to happen and it's just it's not I mean I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if they did it as a short film, it might have been a little more interesting. But this is like a an idea that's stretched to its breaking point and I'm just like just like nothing nothing fucking happens in this movie. It's just like like suspicion. The entire time. And they figure it out. Like, I mean, you know what's happening five minutes in. And they figure it out like half an hour in. And I'm like, where's this going? Is Mm. he? And it just goes to like sort of the more muted place. It's like he he, he falls off a train and he dies. Yeah. And that's the movie. Right. And (laughs) and it's like not not everyone is who who we think they are in the world. Much like your uncle or your uncle, whatever they fucking said. And that romance was just lame and forced to me. I just had. I didn't like the romance. You're right. Yep. I agree with that. Uh, okay. I don't know. I, here's where I agree with you. There is some weird plotting. <laughs> it, it's strangely paced this movie. Not necessarily like in the scene to scene sort of rhythm of it, but yeah. in the way that the story unfurls itself. Because, yeah, at the beginning, we know Joseph Cotton is guilty of something. We yes. don't know what it is, but there's no doubt right away. Whatever he is being accused of, he is guilty of. Yeah, yeah. And I like. I actually really like the opening of this movie quite a bit, where he's running away and he's yeah. suspecting uh, uh, someone of, of following him, and then he kind of outsmarts them. I was like, "Ooh, okay, we're in for something good here." I love the lighting shooting through the window as he's just kind of you know shrouded in that little hotel there with sure. the money strewn about. Really good stuff. I was like, "Ah, Hitchcock. This is this is the movie." I not, I was like immediately like, "Oh, I'm gonna see why this is his favorite film." And then the second they get to the house, it goes away. Right. And then just persists throughout the rest of the movie. And I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. It, sure. 
the, yeah, then we get to the point in the movie where uh, Teresa Wright puts things together and then we learn what he's guilty of and they really bury that like it's late in the movie there's a yeah. lot of just like idyllic small town shit in the first yeah, yeah, yeah. hour you yeah know? that's right like it's the everybody loves you <laughs> which i i kind of liked it you know psycho is thought of as as uh, hitchcock's ultimate side a side b movie but there's a lot of hitchcock movies that have that same structure i agree like even rebecca starts out in, in uh whatever i think i'm like spain or whatever like a foreign country they're vacationing at and then it becomes the sort of horror movie in okay. the house and you know psycho again it's one protagonist then another yeah. protagonist yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end two completely different movies uh vertigo there's after the death the yeah. fake death and then there's before the fake death that right? is really the ultimate side a side b right <laughs> so all of them sort of have that structure where it's like they lull you in the birds is like this too sort of yeah the so. birds are like there's this whole cat and mouse thing going on at the beginning and then the birds show up out of nowhere and it's like holy, holy shit the, we're yeah. in this movie now so like a lot of them you know have that structure of they lull you in and then they just hit you over the head and i found that interesting in this movie like this might be, at least for the first hour, the most personal Hitchcock ever gets in terms of his affection for this small town and then oh. the depravity of putting pure evil in the small town. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought that was kind of cool. And from what I understand, this was a, a movie that he was making at a really emotional time in his life. And of course, his wife helped him out with the scripting of it. But um, it's, you know, early uh, 92, late 91. It's just around the time that the war is starting and because of travel restrictions, Hitchcock could not get to London to see his dying mother. Oh. And so he really wanted to shoot a movie in a place that was the embodiment of pure. Um, okay. And so he chose Santa Rosa, California, almost as like this comedically ideal small town where like the crossing guard knows the pharmacist and the pharmacist knows the librarian yeah. and the kids just run around you know, aimlessly and I. Like, that is not Hitchcock, really, in any way. Most of Hitchcock's locations are fucking depraved. You know, you Usually, think about how yeah. Strangers on a Train portrays New York City. Oh, my God. And that place is hell, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And here it's like, oh, yeah, there's this is a this is a nice movie for about an hour. And then all of a sudden, our, you know, everyone's favorite uncle is a serial killer. It's not all of a sudden, though. I mean, that flip that you're talking about happens pretty quickly in the movie. And then it's like it's like a, a, a 10 minute sequence of the movie where it's not that movie. And then all of a sudden it is this this movie for the rest of it. It's like, you know, it's like a 1090 split. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, OK, this is just. Like where when when are we just getting to the end? To me, I don't know. I like. I guess I like the idea of placing this evil figure in this perfect town and everything. That's kind of it's kind of neat. I'm not sure it's utilized flawlessly. I think that's because too much of it takes place in this little house. To me. I love that house, though. I love the sense of place. Like I feel like I know where the staircase is. There's a lot of dialogue that specifies. Yeah, There's yeah. a back staircase, a back entrance. You can go in that way. You can sneak down the window. Here's the staircase that falls apart because Joseph Cotton sabotages it. Yep. Like, I, you know, also, I know how far the library is. I know. Sorry, drop my phone. Uh, I know how far the library is. So when that scene happens, yeah, like I, I, I can sort of feel the ticking clock. Um, you know, I, I actually I personally did find this to be one of the more memorable Hitchcock locations. Like, I felt like I I understood the geography of it in a oh. way that I don't usually feel because in a lot of those Hitchcock movies, like. The geography is besides the point. Like in Vertigo, for example, that staircase 
is supposed to be like an endless staircase that doesn't really make much sense. Oh, you mean like the the, the logic? I, I would disagree. I think the, the geography of everything he does is very laid out and specific, but you're talking about like whether or not it makes literal sense. Right. I, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? This yeah. one actually felt like I, I'm at home in a place like this. All right, all right, all right, yeah. You know? Yeah, I, 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 I suppose, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, I wasn't crazy about it. It's just a house. It's just a house. You know, it's just a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought Listen it's a fucked up family But it's a movie about Family you know Is it a fucked up family aside from him Well you know you know, It's family Salute me familia <laughs> Is this that was the prequel to Fast and Furious His great his great uncle Vin, Vin Diesel's great 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 uncle Is this guy <laughs> This is where it all starts <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be played by Clint Eastwood in the next movie. <laughs> There's an idea. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that is not usually uh, something that, that Hitchcock deals with. And that's why I also think it's kind of one of his more sentimental movies. It's more unique in that way. It's yeah. a little earnest, too, which is which is different for him. I agree. So, yeah. but uh, there is an incestuous undertone going on there, though, that I yep. do find very interesting, but also kind of perverse. It's not unusual for Hitchcock movies, but it's there. I agree. Yeah, that, that that was one of the more compelling aspects of the movie whenever they would interact because it was always a, a pretty obvious part of it to me. And I was always wondering how far are they going to push this? Yeah. Uh, and they do it just enough where it's like it's still fucking weird, but they, it doesn't get to the point where it's like, what what are you, what are you doing? Please stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but, you know, there's some good shots. I mean, there's a lot of really good little uh, tricks and gimmicks and, and pieces of suspense. And he is about to graduate into a new class in terms of suspense. And yeah. we'll talk about that in a second. But like the shot of the uncle running up the stairs uh, when uh, when uh, T- Teresa Wright is is on the porch and he just realizes that he got away with it and he turns around to look at Teresa Wright and the music just cuts out and it's silent. Like uh, it, Ebert talked about this in his review. Like there are uh, staircases are used in uh, all of Hitchcock's movies yeah. uh, to convey uh, you know, something about power, something about you know the internal psyche of the character. And he's learning. He's learning how to yeah, do for it. Sure, here, for sure, for sure. You know? Yeah. I'm not, I We're going to talk about other staircases in this oh, very movie, in these movies. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I don't find much about it cinematically all that memorable. Like you say that shot, I'm not recalling the shot. Huh. Yeah. One more little nitpick I had. What's up? There's a cut in the middle of the movie, and this is another example of like, oh, geez, Hitchcock is about to clean it up really oh. soon, but he's not quite there yet. Where uh, Charlie goes on the date with the cop. Okay. And the cop, like, runs into her friends. They they like they, they, they go to some diner and they run into her friends. And then we immediately cut to Teresa Wright saying, wait a minute, I know who you are. You're a cop. Like, the revelation of her... Uh, Remember that cut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. A, it's one of the worst cuts I've ever seen in movies ever. Like it's really fucking bad. Where they go from innocuous, just like yeah. first date shit, to one of the big emotional turns of the movie, and there's no context for it whatsoever. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. It's really it's bad. Very strange. It's really bad. Yeah, you can kind of blink and you'll miss it uh, if you're not paying attention, I guess. But no, I remember that being kind of odd. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's a really bad cut. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay. He's well, about to clean it up, though. 
Well, this is part of what I wanted to talk about. One of the interesting things with these first two movies is that I just think the jump in quality is like astronomical. Mm. It's like, okay, yeah, these are fine, I guess. And then you jump to like what I consider some of the best movies ever made. Right. (laughs) And it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Okay. I'm here now. Three years later, he does Notorious. Written by the great Ben Hecht. Starring Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, and Claude Rains. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars that year. Claude Rains got that nomination. And Best Original Screenplay. (laughs) Oh, boy. The daughter of a convicted Nazi spy is asked by American agents to gather information on a ring of Nazi scientists in South America. How far will she have to go to ingratiate herself with them? Hmm. Uh, This is not to be confused with the 2009 Biggie Smalls biopic, Notorious. It's a remake. Yeah. (laughs) If you... uh, Look for it on a streaming service. Just know Hitchcock did not make a movie about the notorious B.I.G. If you could believe it. Yeah. Missed opportunity. <laughs> All right. Notorious. Go ahead. Talk to me. So uh, one of the best uh, mic drops or flexes I think I've ever had as a as a film uh, uh, enthusiast was in England. And uh, I'm hanging around with a bunch of, you know, fellow, you know, film lovers. And we're talking about Hitchcock. And, um, and we're going over like what, you know, you know, some of the things we love about him. And then we eventually get to what are our favorite films by the guy. And they're listing off like, you know, we love Psycho, of course, North by Northwest, The Birds. Oh, but guys, Vertigo, come on. Because it's Vertigo. What's wrong with Vertigo? It's like the best film ever made. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And then they kind of turn to me and there's like a little ellipses and I just look at them. Notorious. And it's like the the utensil drop in Twister. <laughs> I think I have that clip. Is there an F5? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. My favorite film? Notorious. Is there an F5? <laughs> <laughs> but mm. part of the reason it was so, uh, I think, profound for them is because they're like, oh, Oh, really? Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And they kind of realized that might be the correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might. It might. Might be. Smoothies. Fa- perfect. Perfect. Flawless. flawless. I wouldn't change anything about it. Yeah. I, I watched it again a couple nights ago and it might have sealed the deal for me. I, I would have to watch Strangers on a Train again to really get my footing on that because I haven't st- seen Strangers in a, on a Train in a, in a number of years. But this movie is just like, what's the, it, Jesus Christ, it's cinema, baby. Yeah. Oh, my God. In every conceivable way. I mean, even if you just want to go back to the old Hollywood of it all. I mean, it's not I wouldn't call it traditionally old Hollywood, but the superstardom of it all. This is something that some people have a big issue with because a lot of people don't care for like these types of movie stars. But if you're not completely in love with these people right out of the gate, I don't know what's the matter with you, let alone like the way the movie uses them as these interesting chess pieces that are... Well, it weaponizes their their movie stardom too. Yes. Like Cary Grant is introduced in this movie yeah. via silhouette. And he, yeah. he's sort of backlit, and you just see the back of his head. I know. And you're like, holy shit, that's Who's Cary that Grant. Like, yeah. Everybody's like looking around like, is that fucking Cary Grant showing up? Like, yeah. that, like it's, yeah, it's it's played like that. Yeah. 
using Ingrid Bergman like to her to her strengths in a very honest way. It's like I think the first time we see her is like the back of her head as well. Yeah. Except she's in the courtroom. Right. But like that's kind of perfect for who she is. She's not some like even though like she's like the most beautiful actress ever. Mm. Um you she she's not someone who ever like wanted to call attention to her stardom. She's very like spunky and witty and like doesn't give a fuck in a way that's really kind of sexy and appealing. Mm. And I'm just going to say, like, I watching this, I'm like, I've, I've got a crush on this actress right now. <laughs> I fucking love Ingrid Bergman. I love everything about her performance and her personality mm. and what her character is going through. Mm. Uh, I also just love the way these characters are used as these interesting chess pieces, sometimes playing against the actual villains of the movie, but also against each other in such fascinating ways. Mm. Also in ways that are very uncharacteristic of Hitchcock, frankly. Uh, I just... Yeah, well, it, it kind of plays the same trick Vertigo plays on you, which, which is it it lulls you into this story which begins as a pretty uh, rote romance mm. and, uh, you know, it adds some poison and it adds some international espionage and before you know it, this woman is being used in a tug of war between two men that love her but yeah, also yeah, want to yeah. use her and use all of her flaws it's true. to their advantage. Uh, and it forces you as a surrogate via Hitchcock to be like, Oh, wait a minute. How, who exactly is the hero here? Who exactly am I rooting for? What, what am I supposed to feel about this situation right now? But you realize like, and the characters realize their mistakes by the end of it. And it's like, you know, the, 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 you know, and people, well, for the most part, but like the characters, we, you know, grow to love come out uh, better on the other side. It's a little bit different with Vertigo. That's more like the the tragic ending. This is got plenty of tragedy to it, but like I said, the, at the end of the day, we succeed. You know, and I guess it's just a dependent on taste as to which you prefer. But I don't know. There's just such a such a confidence in mood here, and it's sort of weird. I've always I've always kind of looked at this as the movie. It's like, I don't know how he came to some of these decisions on how he was going to tell the story and some of those incredible zooms on the keys and whatnot and the careful cutting around the way she drops it and stuff like that. Or even just the scene where they're in the cellar and they hear someone coming and they have to kiss and whatnot. It's immaculate. But it's like, but it's like he found like, like, it's like he found the Ark of the Covenant and he's like, I don't need to do anything else. It's like it just came to him and it's like, oh, this is how we're going to do it forever now. And it's like, why would but, I need okay, to change? That's so funny. I had the exact same fucking thought. Because here's the thing. Movies in their inception were not thought of as particularly artistic exercises. Mm. I mean, they were thought of as sort of creative little jaunts or whatever. But yeah. they were supposed to be old vaudeville theater yeah. put to film and projected to a mass audience. Precisely. It was just, this is just a way to, you know, take what we understand and have understood for centuries as just live performance and, and make it more accessible and cheap for people. That was it, right? That's what movies were. So you'd have very simple camera setups and sometimes it would just be one single shot. Yeah. And yeah. you know, talkies came later, but before it was just like a physical medium and you know, it's hard to remember sometimes that this is a language that had to be developed. Mm. This is not a language that we just all inherently understood, right? And you have guys like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin that are developing this language. And you also have guys like, you know, Orson Welles and Hitchcock. Yep. And when you watch something like Citizen Kane or you watch something like Notorious and you see the physical storytelling, yeah. right, of... Yes, the, of course, the overhead shot of the key, which is the, the movie's most iconic, but also everything with the wine bottles breaking, um, everything with the, the tea, the coffee in that little teacup, um, just, you know, the way that Hitchcock sort of lingers on these little items. 
that is just not something that was in the repertoire of most filmmakers no, at the no. time. And so watching a movie like this is fucking like, it's like finding the Rosetta Stone. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, this is where it all began. And all of the, the storytelling techniques that you now take for granted, the idea of showing and not telling. It's like this entire movie. It's right here yeah. for you. You know, so watching this, it's kind of an amazing document. Yeah. Of yeah, its yeah, time. yeah. I agree. Although it hasn't aged a fucking day and it's just as entertaining now as it was in 1946. Um, yeah, you can't you can't sleep on these movies, man, because like this is something no. that is now so obvious, but back then was revolutionary. I just but it's so powerfully refreshing to to the point where it's like I this strange comparison, I suppose, but like I guess it, when you when you discover something this early, there is such a joy and vigor in doing it and making sure you get it absolutely right. It's part of the reason why the the dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park still look better than anything today because yeah. they realize what they were capable of and they kind of had that perception of let's just make sure we don't fuck this up yeah. <laughs> in any way. Let, let's make sure this lasts forever. Yeah. And yeah, that's what that's what you get. This is there's a similar quality here where it's like it's a little stronger because they discovered like a whole aspect of the language, sure. which is so much greater. But even that like again I, we I, we talked about this when we were discussing vertigo where it's like how do you think up like the the dolly zoom it's like you invent a whole uh, uh subsection of how to communicate an idea but yeah you can't mo- get the screw in the hole so you invent the screwdriver but this movie is has so much more of that it's like every other like gag that he's pulling with the camera is a new form for the language in sure. the same way that citizen kane was doing it yeah and it's just i, I, I just Mm, it's frustrating. I don't know how you. I don't know how you figure this stuff out, but it's it's so brilliant. Yeah, I don't know how you get there. And then you see some of the behind the scenes uh, of the movie, particularly that that overhead dolly shot. Oh yeah, of of the key. The 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 camera essentially begins at the top of the staircase, descends through the atrium of the room. It's a great shot, and uh, you end up in close up uh, a, a key that Ingrid Bergman is holding in her hand for, uh, I mean, reasons of the plot. Um, and the, the thing about cameras in that time is that most cameras now, you look through the lens and you are seeing exactly what the camera is shooting. But back then, cameras didn't have true eye holes. They didn't have, like, what you were, you could not see through a lens, no. right? So you had to put a little viewfinder next to the lens, and so when a when a when a uh, when a filmmaker would be or a cinematographer or a camera person would be shooting the scene, you would see the version of the shot, but about two inches off. Yep. So when you look at that shot, you have to sort of hope for the best. No, you have to sort of just shoot it, and you generally know where the camera's going, but you don't know exactly that this is going to be perfect. Yep. And so you actually look at the shot; the key is slightly off center for most of it and that it ends up perfectly at the end Mm -hmm. but like it just takes so much ingenuity and it takes like so much luck to achieve some of that stuff too like they were they were just like batting so far outside of their strike zone yeah uh in in 1946 when they're trying to pull off shots like this now i mean you see a single take all the time in like an average cbs drama oh yeah and it's like whatever yeah okay fine whatever we got it but but it also shows why you know like when you're saying like not taking stuff for granted it's like there's no reason why we shouldn't be getting this stuff right now right and that's the important thing if like if you can do it with what they were dealing with back then oh my god yeah oh my god like you guys it should Everybody should be a filmmaker at that point. <laughs> We're not because for, for obvious reasons, but you should at least be able to land your fucking shots. <laughs> totally. Uh, 
Claude Rains is incredible in this. Yes, he is. He's really good. His character actually becomes a, a pseudo hero in the last. In a act, way, yeah, yeah. And he's given the emotional climax of the movie. I mean, he's given the ending. The the last shot involves his fate. Sure. And you're left with it. That's pretty fucking incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, the script is just great. I mean, the character work here. The tug of war that they're playing. There's a little bit of like Madonna whore complex going on with uh, with Devlin and Alicia. Yeah. You know, the idea that uh, Devlin essentially whores Alicia out in order to get information from the enemy. And then when she succeeds at that, he gets frustrated. Yeah, because he's he's not being completely honest with himself at all. Yeah. Well, he's an immature man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's dangerous. His immaturity is is going to perhaps cost this woman her life. You know? Sure. Sure. Well, that and there's yeah. this is the other thing. The stakes are incredibly well defined for every everybody's kind of in danger here. And just the fact that by the end of the personal stakes and the geopolitical. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which which could have been so confusing. They line up. Right. But they're not. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense, especially with, you know, the, the, the Nazism angle. Right. And uh, the fact that you just you do feel a little sorry for the, the villain by the end of it. You know? Sure. So the fact that he's, you know, this is a situation that he's just kind of stuck in and he could just, you know, despite his best efforts, could never get out of it if he tried. So, you know, there's just this overwhelming pressure in this house, too, where it's just like if they make one false move or if they look at you just wrong, just if you're just over here shifting this vase around, why were you shifting that vase around? Well, let's talk. Right. You know, and that's the entire like paranoia climate that like the, o- overwhelms everything. And it was very prevalent at the time, too. So mm-hmm. it may, so it's, you know, uh, you know, it's it hasn't aged a day, but it, it, it does a great job of capturing a lot of the mood of the time, too, which I love uh, quite deeply. Yeah. Uh, I, I also would just, you know, to, to point out the obvious, like, um, if you want just like a, um, a master class in chemistry. Oh, they're incredible in this movie. It's like, like every, every, yeah. I'm in heat yeah. in every single scene with them together. Totally. It's, it's like a great story about Hitchcock trying to like sustain the longest kiss for like the MPAA or something like that. It was the, it was the Haze Code. The Haze Code. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. That's right, right, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like they're like kissing, but they're not really kissing. Well, yeah, there was a rule yeah. where, and it's funny in Rebecca, uh, the the original novel involves uh, 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 I'm forgetting the name of the the character now, but the husband, uh, played by Lawrence Olivier, De Winter, actually kills his wife, mm-hmm. and it's like with a gun, and it's explicit, but. Oh. Uh, you're not allowed to murder your spouse in a movie <laughs> unless the murder is punished according yeah. to the Hayes code. <laughs> so they had to change that okay. twist in order to get around that. And there's stuff in like the wrong man, for example, like you're not allowed to like be shown in your spouse's bed. Yep. That's and there's right. a moment, um, uh, there's a moment where the main character of that movie sits in his wife's bed and, uh, yeah. And notorious. Similarly, I, I think there's a time limit is like four seconds is the longest amount of time you're allowed to kiss someone but he gets around it by you know essentially having them kiss for four seconds and then remove their lips and then kiss for another four seconds and it's way more fucking explicit than if they just held the kiss i was just about to say like it is steaming right like (laughs) like, smooching much more and it's seen as like a you know way a, a technicality to get around the rule but it ends up being worse I, you know exactly it's like right. way sexier and alluring and I'm just I'm sitting there uh, on my rewatch I'm just like bug-eyed and a good one just like I just can't believe what I'm seeing yeah I'm just like you know so, you know this is there's nothing wrong with this movie and I was like hi <laughs> on my rewatch like this movie's incredible guys I don't know right I don't know how you get much better than this <laughs> obviously some Hitchcock mommy issue stuff oh yeah 
been there, done that with him before. Sure. <laughs> Still really effective, though. Um, and also keep in mind, this is a movie where uranium is the MacGuffin. This is... That's what I'm saying. The year that the U.S. dropped the atomic bomb on Japan. Yeah. So also really poignant mm-hmm. for its time. Yep. Yep. It's a really fucking good movie. It's really great. Yeah, it's like one it's, of the best ever. It's so good. It's insanely good. Yeah. yeah. It's just, and again, like, like I, I, I don't, I don't, it's one of those movies where it's like, I don't get the apprehension towards older movies like this. And it, I don't know if these characters can't carry you through it, then I feel so sorry for you. Totally. Totally. God, I love Ingrid Bergman in this movie. She's so fucking good. She's great. Mm. She's great. Okay. Let's move on. 1951 Strangers on a Train, uh, written by Raymond Chandler, who just uh, got an Oscar for Double Indemnity and also wrote The Big Sleep. So Ah. a guy that uh, has just made some of the great noir movies of all time. Based on Patricia Highsmith's uh, first ever novel. Patricia Highsmith, of course, the writer behind the talented Mr. Ripley franchise. Oh. Uh, also wrote the novel that Carol is based on. So these are very like twisted stories. Yes. Did uh, the what was that uh, Ana de Armas Ben Affleck movie from this year? She wrote the original version of that. She wrote the book. Yeah. Uh, Deep Water. Deep Water. Okay. Yeah. Deep Water. Her books, yes, are about very calculated, uh, reasonable sort of removed killers. Okay. You know, they're very cold and chilly, as you can tell by her movie adaptation. Yeah. Uh, this, similarly, is a very cold and dark and depraved movie. It stars Fairly Granger, Robert Walker, and Ruth Roman. Uh, these are like... A bunch of guys that Quentin Tarantino made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about. You know, yeah, like basically. Yeah. Kind of just like the everyday, uh, you know, work a day Hollywood players that were on a couple episodes of Bonanza or whatever <laughs> and occasionally got like a starring role. Sure, 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 sure. You know, I, I was just I was very struck by how nothing these guys were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think they work for the um um, I mean, they're not traditional stars. I think they work for, they're supposed to be kind of regular, as regular as you can get. I don't think they can't carry the movie, but there's a, there's a, I mean, you know, with the title Strangers on a Train, you need to be kind of, you know, blank going in, like, who's this guy? And then they rope you in with a really sinister story. Totally. <laughs> and you find yourself really, for me at least, incredibly engaged. Yeah. So I guess Hitchcock wanted William Holden for the guy part. And I thought that might have been a little better, but we'll talk about him in a second. Uh, Nominated for Best Cinematography at the Oscars, and that is it. A psychopath forces a tennis star to comply with his theory that two strangers can get away with murder. Mm -hmm. Um, This is your favorite Hitchcock movie, right? Uh, Probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. It's, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really honestly that, or it's, or it's notorious. I don't know. I like I said. I I don't know how I'd feel about it now if I rewatched it. I just, but what I do know is that it's the film that made me fall in love with Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. It's you know I you know I'd seen Psycho and of course I I love Psycho. I'd seen The Birds. I love you know The Birds. But I but those were like more of like they're part of you know the the you know the the text of um, American cinema and you just you just know them without even seeing them. Uh, so I was like okay yeah cool cool great movies and you know I had a different feeling on them much later in life but. Uh, yeah, I was like, they were just always sort of there. And this is like the first movie by Hitchcock that I like had to seek out and sort of started this train of movies, which eventually led to Notorious and, uh, Dial in for Murder, Rebecca, the third, no, not the third man, Jesus. Um, what was I going to say? Um, uh, 
I'm forgetting. Oh, Rear Window. Jesus. Sure. Um, just, you know, just all the great Hitchcock films. Uh, but funny enough, it's like, yeah, there's just something so pure and simple and nasty about this movie that just really spoke to me. It just, it, it, again, feels even the mo- even less... Uh, it, it doesn't feel like it's aged at all to me, like even more so than Notorious in a way. This is one of those films where just like, I think the premise alone is just inherently interesting and compelling. And by the time you realize like the, the, the gravity of what's wrong with this movie, it's just, it, to me, it really catches you off guard and it's, I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 it sort of appeals to like a darker side of Hitchcock that I haven't quite seen, you know? And I just think it's like a, a perfect thriller. Yeah, and I I think it's one of his better villains in in all of his movies. You know, with the exception of like Norman Bates and some of those obvious ones. But he's really good. It it it's a film that yeah. just caught me completely off guard in what it was, and I think part of that was the casting and just sort of the s- simplicity to the setup and everything. And you're kind of like, well, where is this going? And then when it shows you where it's going, it, it it's it's really uh, uncomfortable and disarming. And yeah. it's just a, an anxiety trip of a movie where you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. And I don't know if I honestly will, but let's just see what happens movie. And it's just a, it's a nail biter for me. I just think it's an excellent work of cinema. Yeah. As I was watching it, I'm like, of course, Adam fucking likes this movie. Like oh, it's yeah. so chilly. It's so bitter, but it's also so stylish. It's like such a movie that David Fincher would make now. Now, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like it's so David Fincher. And I'm like, of course, fucking Adam is all over mm. this thing. Uh yeah, I I liked it a lot. I really fucking liked it. And I loved Robert Walker as Bruno. I did think Fairly Granger in the lead role is mm. such a fucking wet blanket. And <laughs> that bothered me a lot. And really? I was surprised how much it bothered me. Uh, William Holden would have been so much better, I think, in this performance. Now he does use Fairly Granger again in Rope. I was going to say it's it. There's a he does show up and he's fine in that one, right? And he actually plays a similar. You know, he's he's complicit in the crimes, but he feels kind of bad about it in that movie. It's yeah. a similar character, but he's not tasked with carrying that movie. You have Jimmy Stewart carrying that movie for the most part, um, and even the other guy that plays his uh, gay lover in that. Movie is better. I kind of completely disagree with William Holden. Yeah, I, well, he, like he, he he's too capable. I don't like. I yeah, like like William Holden. The problem with, I have with William Holden is that you put William Holden next to this guy, and I'm not scared of the other guy. I guess you know, like like he's too in, like William Holden's way too intimidating and masculine. And I kind of look at him and I'm like, oh, he's gonna be fine. You know, there's there's no. Real- I don't know. He was tormented in in, in Sunset Boulevard, mm. effectively. No, mm. I mean, like he. I like him in that, but n- he plays a nubbish guy in that. Uh, that that doesn't fully reveal itself towards like the end of the movie. The entire point of this movie is that like you're really unsure of like whether or not like th- this guy is gonna make it out alive, or it's all this weird cabal against him, and it's really uh like like I said, it's the part of the reason why it's so suspenseful for me is because he's just kind of a regular dude. It's yeah. one of those instances where I actually kind of love the the regular sort of like I get you you usually say boring dude casting, but I don't think he's. Uh, uncharismatic in the role I always yeah I kind of do yeah see I liked him a lot that's kind of the only thing yeah and and, uh, listen I love some of these sequences like oh my god the carnival sequence is is as good as it gets (laughs) it's great I mean it's as good as it fucking gets um the uh the stuff with the staircase and the dog at the top of the staircase is great um the shot of of Robert Walker 
on the DC monument up the staircase. I mean, all of the moments. Anything with him is great. Yeah, any of the moments that guy uh, spots Bruno. Uh, mm-hmm. How about the, the shot where they're at the tennis match mm-hmm. and the entire crowd is, you know, go is is uh, tilting their heads back and forth following the match and, and Robert Walker is just staring him dead on. Like, that's just unbelievable well, shit. That, that's what I'm saying. This is one of those films where it's like, even though I haven't seen it in a number of years, I remember it quite vividly. It's a, it's a, sure. it's a, it's an effect to like just how much this film actually sticks with you. And again, I, it's not a film that I, I, I like it as like an, a moral quandary of, of what if it's fine in that way. It's not going for like anything like smaller or more personal, like what Cooper Rafe is going for. But, <laughs> but, but I, I like, I like these types of, of, of really dark, disturbing thrillers that ask like that, that, that morally uh, uh, confusing question, and- but also it's it's morally confusing. But the premise of the question is simple. Oh yeah, very. Like it's it's still low concept in its in its aspirations. You know. Well, yeah, it's it's you know it's 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 a sinister version of this, but it's like, would you push the person in front of the train? You know? Sure. It's like even yeah, though it's yeah, a terrible right, thing right, to right, do, right, well, right, right. Would, would you do it? If you could, it, it, the the difference here being like you're trying to save people in that one and this one, it's like, well, if you can get away with it, yeah, there's no consequences. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. But the fact that you're even enticed by that idea of the of it's like. Uh, just doing it at all because there's no consequences is, a, is an interesting question. It's like, shouldn't yeah. you be like just uh, dismissing it outright? I've always kind of loved that 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 sort of thought process that they have to go through. Yeah, and this is what bothered me though. They changed the ending of the book for mm. the movie. In the in the movie, a guy does not kill Bruno's father. He doesn't go through with it, but in yep. the book, he does. And I, I kind of felt like they they took the easy way out by sort of keeping guy. Um, sort of unambiguously heroic. Oh well, I didn't know that, and it worked fine for me. Yeah, I mean, it still works okay. When I heard that, though, I'm like, oh man, that is a much better version of this movie. Different, well, different for the time. Totally too. different. You know, yeah, yeah, you have to put it in some certain context where it's like maybe that's a little too dark for yeah. 1950s audiences. Right. I, I that's a, one of those instances where I almost always give movies passes just because what 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 were they expected to do? You know. Right. I, I can't really come down too hard on the it's not really the movie's fault i guess is my point right yeah um what else was i gonna say oh yeah similar to rope as well there's a lot of like homoerotic undertones yes bruno is flirting with guy from the beginning of this movie to the end of it i mean when he first approaches him on the train he sits very close to him yeah and starts fawning over him even that's very like telling like what is this guy all about every scene with bruno is phenomenal yeah he's absolutely phenomenal yeah he's great in this um and uh oh here's another note i had the ending of this movie is fucked the carnival the the um the merry-go-round sequence Mm. is fucked like a the the attendant the guy flipping the switch just gets shot randomly and dies yeah and it's just like cast off as this little thing and then there's a bunch of children just going around the fair the ferris wheel the merry-go-round is yeah it's at like 90 miles an hour and it's like what is happening it's fucked up there's several children probably died on this thing yeah probably you know it's 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 such i i knew exactly why you loved this the second i watched yeah it's horrifying like and this is what i'm saying like apart from psycho it's like the scariest hitchcock film yeah but you but you get into it having no idea that it's going to be as frightening and, and unnerving as it is. Like this is a movie where just like, again, the, the, the behavior of the characters in the little scenes like chills me to the bone. Yeah. And again, it's not chilly in the sense that like, like you don't, you don't 
feel anything. It's chilly and just that, like, I don't want to be here, guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. just like this is icky and uncomfortable, and like everything here is depraved, and I just want to go home. And it's getting out of control. And it's too. getting out of control. And that's again, it's a movie that just spirals like that, and it, and, and the hurricane grows bigger and bigger and bigger until it finally dies at the very end. And it's just like I can't believe I just made it out of that one alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like like. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, does it come down to the lead? I don't have as much of a problem with him. For me, that is the only reservation I have. I think it's a really fucking awesome movie. Yeah. Uh, aside from that. But he's just asked to carry a lot of it. There's a lot of scenes of him oh, yeah. in this. There's a lot of like tennis in this movie. You know, no, I, like I'm watching this guy play tennis for a lot of it. I'm just not compelled. And it's not so much that I wanted someone more physically imposing or more traditionally masculine yeah. or more because like, I didn't want that at all. Yeah, I don't want Cary Grant in this role. Let, no. let me be clear, but I, 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 I just find it to be very boring. I, and maybe it's intentional, but I don't think all of it is intentional. And would Montgomery Clift have done better? Sure. Yeah, that's 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 probably a similar comp. I would say Henry Fonda would have been great in it. Maybe. Why not? Maybe Henry. Yeah, I don't. I don't agree with William Holden at all, but. Uh, yeah, Montgomery Clifton or William, um, um, uh, a younger Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda I know, obviously, sure, he's yeah. he's he's older at this point in his life, but yeah, it works. It works, and I mean, it's not like it's out of place. I mean, given what the character is supposed to be, it's not like it's a stupid decision or anything like that. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't really bothered. I kind of liked him in the movie. Yeah. Okay, I don't. I don't have much of an issue with that actor either. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, no, this is a really good movie. I like it a lot. I don't like it as much as Notorious, but I like it a lot. Yeah, no, it's 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 up there for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next week we do need to do our our top ten Hitchcocks. Yeah, I think wow. we, I think we need to figure that out. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I would probably put this below Notorious right now, but that's only because I rewatched Notorious. So, right. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing with these movies. It's usually the one you saw last. Yeah, is yeah. your favorite. <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Finally, uh, this is a this is a weird one. Nineteen fifty six is the wrong man. Yeah, uh, written by Maxwell Anderson, the writer of All Quiet on the Western Front. Is that right? Which I I thought was super interesting and very telling. Uh, Henry Fonda and Vera Miles Starr. In 1953, an innocent man named Christopher Emmanuel Manny Balestro is arrested after being mistaken for an armed robber. Uh, fucking really weird movie. So yeah, based on a true story, Hitchcock tells you as much. In the opening of the movie, he appears in silhouette from quite a distance and says, this is Alfred Hitchcock. And what you are about to see is more terrifying than even my fictional movies, because it's based on a true story. So it's like like uh, uh, Tom Cruise at the beginning of Top Guns taking notes from Hitchcock. When I stood up and saluted at the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Much like that moment. Submitted the Scientology papers, of course. You always have to add that detail. Totally. Put my hand over my heart and sang... The national anthem in front of this theater of people. How much money have you given the church, Nico? Uh, All of your gambling money's I, I, gone? I'm on level two. Ooh, Nico. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm about to learn where Earth came from. That level two's gnarly. Be careful. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, similar to that. He it, That is not something he did in any other movie. He, he kind of did it in his TV show, Alfred oh, Hitchcock yeah. Presents, so... It was kind of a carryover of that, but he's warning you at the top. Like this is not a, a normal Alfred Hitchcock movie. There's yeah. there's something different going on here. I'm I'm going for something far different than what you you expect out of me. Uh, and then yeah, you get a, a true 
lethargic, sometimes frustratingly um, uh, procedural. Sometimes, yeah. Story with Henry Fonda in the lead role, taking on the role that Cary Grant took in in North by Northwest, and you know, much so, smaller scale, but right, and and so many others of the wrong of the man wrongly accused for something. Yep. Uh, a lot of people cite this story from Alfred Hitchcock's childhood as in as inspiration for basically his entire oeuvre but in this movie specifically uh when hitchcock was a little boy he said something naughty to his father his father wrote a note handed him the notes said, take this to the police station hitchcock takes the note to the police station the cop opens it up reads it and puts hitchcock in the cell and says this is what we do to naughty boys we put them in jail <laughs> And I don't think it was in there for that long, but he said that was a traumatic experience for me. I've always had a distrust of cops. I've always been afraid that I was going to be framed for something I didn't do. I was going to be, you know, thrown in jail unjustly. And so this movie is sort of the literal encapsulation of that nightmare that Hitchcock had always been chasing. Wow. Amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. As far as... uh, as a, as accused men stories go, oh, this one is I would say more frustrating than thrilling, and I don't mean that pejoratively. No, 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 no. I agree with at you. all. Yeah. yeah, but the way Henry Fonda plays this in this sort of purposely detached way, where he's there's a lot of just him like sitting there looking confused and shit because he has no idea what's going on, right? And sort of the system is happening around him. the The gears of justice are turning, and he can't stop them. Uh, and I just I wasn't ready for this kind of Hitchcock movie, and it really caught me off guard when I watched it. Because it's here's the thing: it's kind of realistic. Oh, totally! You know, even down to those performances, because that's not something that would normally normally you would get a guy shouting, and he's like, "I'm not supposed to be," and you know, st- stuff along. Yeah, those it's lines. so unHollywood. And yeah, ex- exactly. It's just straight as an arrow, and it's sure. just like it's it's it's. Yeah, it's completely frustrating because you expect the drama to come in certain moments, like and for for those moments to kind of save the guy's ass, and they just never come. Right? Yeah, because yeah. you're trained for. Okay, it's about forty five minutes in. We're we're gearing up for the first Hitchcock twist, yep. and here it comes, and here's where the MacGuffin is introduced, and here's when we find out that there was a a secret twin brother that came and actually robbed the bank. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's none of that. No, nope, it's just nope. right because it's life. Yeah. And you're just like praying for fate to take care of this guy yeah. the entire way through. And I mean, that's kind of what happens, but it's like one of the, like, you you do kind of give up at a certain point and you're like, no, this guy's just fucked. Yeah. yeah. Even though you as the audience know, and that's the other thing that makes it so frustrating. You know he's innocent. Sure. It's one of the things that Scorsese talked about when he was talking about how much he loves this film and why it makes it so, like it's consistently thrilling and engaging and upsetting is because the movie tells you straight out, no, he didn't do anything wrong. Right. He didn't do anything wrong. It's just the movie is turning against this character right and that's the whole point and you're just trying to say i I don't know how he's going to get out of this sure yeah you're watching it i remember watching the the bank scene so good which is really good but i i remember henry fonda looking at the teller and they sort of exchange not a knowing glance but it's sort of a weird gaze that they meet each other at and uh, like I remember thinking, oh, there there must be some sort of hidden affair. Like this is you know the story of like uh, you know this this average uh, jazz singer who loves his kids but really has this dark seedy other yeah. life. And yeah. I just I kept waiting for that and it never came. Uh, but it's weird because Hitchcock still shoots it like a Hitchcock movie. I know, you know, I know. And I found it to be appropriately bleak mm-hmm. in this one. Whereas I, I I didn't feel that's the same way about say Marnie. 
which is yeah. another movie um, that that tries to Hitchcockify a non Hitchcock story. Yep. You know, this one I, I found it to be appropriate, and I found like the the, the filmmaking to be a nice marriage with the material, but. Right. I, it's weird because you're watching a Hitchcock movie. There's this weird cognitive dissonance. You're yeah. watching the Hitchcock movie, but the the plot is so it's it's just it's so like painfully slow, mm-hmm. painfully slow. Mm-hmm. It's it's like fucking Serpico. You know, it's it's about oh, interesting comp, yeah, yeah, right. It's about like crushing systems and about yeah. how justice is not always pure and it's not always truth and um you know how individuals can get stuck in this system and it's impossible to change it from the inside, right? Yep. Uh, and what once I realized the movie that I was watching, and once I realized that, oh, the the emotional catharsis is is going to involve the wife uh, going crazy and being put in a mental institution, and once I saw that this was a story about broken systems, it really clicked in for me. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense that Maxwell Anderson wrote this. Uh, uh, he wrote maybe the ultimate bleak war movie and all quiet on the Western front. And the guy is certainly not interested in, you know, happy endings or fairy tales or, you know, Hitchcock manipulation. He is interested in showing you the world and it with all of its blemishes, which is why I'm the, as much as I, I, first of all, I love the movie. It's really good. I love, love the movie. One of the, another great surprise. I saw it fairly recently too. Um, and I saw everything that like Scorsese was talking about, and I just think he he, he talks about this film beautifully. Um, but yeah, but one of the reasons it stuck with me was, like you said, because of how completely different it is from the rest of his oeuvre. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just it just I just I thought I I kind of made me wish he'd done more like this, but been very picky about the types of stories he he told because obviously Marnie doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, um, Marnie's a very different kind of subject matter, but it it, it was one of those things. When I watched it, I'm like, Hitchcock should not be tackling this material. No. And it, it feels forced that you're throwing all of your Hitchcock shit on top of it. He'd have to change himself a lot to make that story work if he were the one to tell it. Yeah. And, and this this one, um, surprisingly, the Hitchcock of it all is fairly fitting. Yeah. And maybe that's just because like the guy is trying to sort of chase the plot in a way or chase all the things in front of him and he can't yeah. quite do it. Yeah. So it's like there's like a built-in suspense nature, whereas like by definition with Marnie, you have to force the, you know suspenseful scenes where she's stealing stuff she doesn't have to do any of that yeah uh and then this one it's like i don't know how this got away from me but i have to figure it out mm-hmm. uh it's wonderful it's wonderful i think it's actually quite good i'm one of his more underrated works in my opinion because i don't hear a lot of people talk about this one all too often scorsese talks about it yes he does he actually said it was a huge influence on taxi driver which i thought was really interesting because they're totally different movies but apparently the shooting style i um, can kind of see it uh it in a way, in a way, for sure. Certainly, I mean, if you're talking about like how oppressive the the setting is, or for like like again, we're this has been a motif with all these movies in a way, but like the just the the home, like when he goes into the house, and this is like he's a very respectable individual, and you just see his living arrangements, like it is very odd and claustrophobic, and there's nothing Hollywood about where that guy lives, yeah, and just how like like dark and shadowy it is, and there's like these hidden doors for the kids to play in, but it's like. The, seems so dangerous yeah uh and yeah that just kind of extends with like the rest of the, even the bank kind of feels that way because they shoot it uh in a way where it's like they're always like the like covered by the bars on the on like where where the what, what am i trying to say where the tellers work and stuff like that yeah it's just a movie where like setting to me always played a big role i uh Man, yeah. What else is? What else do I have to say about it? It's really good. Yeah, it's re- that's what it's, I have to say about it. It's, it's really it's, good. It's, it's pretty fucking awesome. I should also I say sh- this is this is after Hitchcock first started working in color. 
And like you watch some of those earlier um, Hitchcock color movies and he hadn't quite figured out exactly what he was doing until Vertigo. But by this point in his career, he had fucking nailed black and white cinematography. Oh, my God. And yeah. you watch this thing and it's just so crisp and gorgeous. Like well, the photography here is is stunning. Well, that's, again, what I was going to say about the the, the sh- silhouettes and the shadows on the stairs and uh, Henry Fonda's home are just so distinct. And yeah. of all the, the things in the movie, that one sticks with me tremendously well. And uh, man, yeah, I don't know. Or just the shots of him coming home and being picked up by the cops it's really upsetting. I guess. I guess if I'm to criticize the film uh, anywhere, I'm not crazy about like the very, very end of the movie. I hate the title card. Yeah, I hate the closing title card. Yeah, that everything's going to be okay. That's what I would card. say. Yeah, bothers it the hell out of me. Would have been tremendously better had it, it just stopped with her in the 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 asylum. Yes, and leave it at that. Right. Totally. I was like, okay, that's actually kind of an interesting ending, and then they kind of wrapped it all up in a bow. I'm like, that just felt so out of character for the movie. No, it would be like at the end of Notorious if Claude Rains went back into the house and there was a title card saying, "Well, Claude Rains' character ended up being promoted to five star general. <laughs> he's gonna be okay. Yes, he's yeah, now yeah, the yeah. top Nazi. Exactly, the, 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 the top Nazi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, ex- exactly, exactly. That's a, that's a great that's a great uh, 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 analogy there. Yeah. No, I yeah, because I was just like that. Just it it. It sucks because the rest of the movie is so good that the very last note yeah. of the movie does kind of leave you with a sour taste. It's like, really, movie? Right. Like, like I, I want there to be a cut of this movie where they just get rid of that. Yeah. And it'd be perfect. Totally. Yeah. Godard loves this movie, too. Longest piece of criticism Godard ever wrote was about. The Wrong Man? The wrong oh, man. fascinating. Yeah. I read the review. It's very good. Yeah. He loves I- it. I love everything about. That. I love. I love the 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 especially the perspective shots. This is some of my favorite perspective shots in all of any any movie ever. Yeah, you know, it's just you know so telling and and and, and thrilling and interesting. Uh, particularly the bank sequence. Yeah, and just yeah. That that's a very inspirational moment for me too. It's like oh, you can do that in a movie. That's right, it's kind of nice. Right. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I don't have much m- many negative things to say about this movie aside from the ending. And again, just so cool to see a movie like this from Hitchcock. It's just, to- it's so different from all of these movies, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll be honest. My two favorite movies here are Rebecca and Notorious. And, uh, That's very weird. Yeah, I know. It, dude, Rebecca's not better than Strangers on a Train. I fucking, I fucking really liked Rebecca. I, I think it's flawed in the sort of the way that a lot of movies of that era are flawed, but as a as an old Hollywood exercise, I I okay, I love it. Uh, that being said, I think Notorious is by far the best. Yeah, Rebecca better than Strangers on a Train. I, I don't know. It's not better than Strangers That's on a me. Train. Uh, but Notorious. I love would, Joan Fontaine in it. I, I do. I like it a lot. All right. I like it a lot. Yeah. Snooze. Olivier's good. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. See, I don't even fully agree with that. It's like a, it's, 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 it's phoned it in. <laughs> But again, as I said, Notorious is the best. Notorious is the movie. Yeah, probably for now for me. You know, may, again, maybe if I rewatched Strangers on a Train, I'd be I'd, I'd, I'd put up more of a fight. But Notor- I just like I don't know how you beat a movie like on rewatch. I was like, this thing is just like like it's the best movie I've seen of 2022 <laughs> so far. <laughs> you just snort snort the uh, the crystal meth like Tuco and just tight, tight, tight. <laughs> That's yep. what I have to say about Notorious. It's perfect. Yeah. Good. Notorious. Congratulations to Biggie Smalls. Thank you, Biggie, for all of your hard work. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, next time we are doing uh, British Hitchcock, and then we're we're done. We're done with Hitchcock forever. We're done with Hitch. I'm just having a great time watching movies, man. These days. Yeah, yeah, me too. I I saw a few movies. I didn't tell you all the other stuff that I saw. Oh, tell me what you saw. Well, let's see what I got here. Tell me uh, what you a saw. A couple little movies. Uh, all right. Well, aside from uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth, I saw Jurassic World Dominion. Oh, I did see it. I did see it. Boy, and it's I I like it more than the fifth movie, but like you know. Okay. You know. <laughs> okay. For what it's worth. I don't fucking know. Duly noted. Yeah. <laughs> like, Do you like any of the legacy characters? I guess I like Goldblum in it. Okay. It's kind of weird seeing Gold like he he he's entertaining in the movie, but um like like he's his character is like a regression of what he is even in the first Jurassic Park. You know how there's like a sort of a maturity to the character in Jurassic or the Lost World because yes. of the kind of shit that he went through in the first movie? Well, there's none of that character in this one. He was more of like like sort of the punchline of every scene he was in. And I didn't like that at all. Right. Yeah. And he's like I said, entertaining like on his surface, but I was like, I don't know. Like Ian Malcolm in the, the second movie is like really interesting. I kind of love that version of the character. I do too. Yeah. I, I wanna, like him a lot in that. Yeah. And I was like, where did he go? Like he, this logically doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, you could say that about like the fact that all the dinosaurs are in snow and they're cold blooded creatures. I don't know what the fuck that's about, but whatever. Uh, that's yeah. That it's It's almost like they, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm guessing that they they had not um, effectively uh, created their own comic relief. So they had to steal from the original because that first Jurassic World movie is not that funny at all. No, 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 no not at all. And but I, that's Trevor's problem. Right. So it's like now we're going to go back and we're going to mine Goldblum for every drop of humor we can get. Yeah, yeah, he's that's that's kind of all. Does that track? Does that make sense? Essentially, yeah. Okay. And it's not that it's not that none of it lands because some of it does for sure, but it's just I I I don't know I don't know it's it's a it's if that's the best you can do with this character it's a little disappointing for sure and I I think the other legacy characters are just kind of fine you know they're they're some of the better performances in the movie uh, for what it's worth and it's 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 a weird oh my god Jurassic World. It's, it's, there is a, God, when, when, because it's such a mess, like it doesn't really resemble Jurassic Park. That's the thing. It's like, it just feels like a movie with dinosaurs in it. There's a chase sequence in Malta, which is actually very well done, much to my surprise. And I actually liked everything in that scene. Uh, but it just looks like a Jason Bourne movie. There's, there's actually right. Well, there, there was a shot in the in the trailer that looked like Jason Bourne. Well, the shot you're thinking the motorcycle. of motorcycle is motorcycle yeah. where the raptor jumps over. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they do another version of that while they're going through the chase, and it literally jumps through. You know that window in the Bourne Ultimatum that Jason Bourne jumps through in slow motion? Yeah, sure. That shot's in this movie, right? Where he jumps into the lake at the end. Or the river at the end. No, 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 no. You know, it's it was you know, it's he's running through like like these you know kind of brown streets, and he jumps through the window in slow motion, and he fights the guy in the little hotel. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a shot just like ex- identical to that in this, and I'm like, this is just like the the Bourne films. What is going on? It's right. Very weird and tonally um, out of place, I guess. But it has its moments, I guess. I'm trying to be nice to the movie. <laughs> okay. Like like there there's a scene in a swamp with the uh, um. Um, uh, it's my swamp. This is my swamp. No, different movie. Okay. Better movie. Uh, I imagine. 
but yeah, the, the scene in the swamp with Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, that's actually a little suspenseful and actually visually. The, the other thing I was slightly surprised by was the fact that Colin Tre- Trevorrow or whatever his name is actually had some decent shots for a change. I'm like, okay, that was a fine shot. That okay. was a fine shot. Okay, 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 whatever. I don't think it's the worst uh, in the Jurassic World series, but that's not saying much. Um I guess perhaps if I saw it again, I'm, I could be swayed. I just really don't like that second movie at all. Mm. I really, really, really don't like it. Uh, but yeah, you know, you know what you're getting. I don't know. I don't know. What else did you see? I saw a film called Hellbender. Okay, it's like a little indie film made by uh, the 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 crew is a family of like three or something like that. It's like a mom, a daughter, and the dad, and they just made this low budget film. Uh, around their house and their property with like friends and stuff like that and it sucks okay great but uh yeah i was why did you watch it i was tipped off to it by a few film critics They're like oh this little indie project made but made by like a little family it's it's cool to see them making a movie that's actually you know well put together ish it's super low budget but like whatever get cut them some slack no it's terrible it's bad. It's a bad, horribly written script with like the worst dialogue ever. Uh, I was kind of frustrated by it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like it at all. Uh, it's like it's like yeah, the, the, these these filmmakers wanted to you know make a little indie project and good for them, but the type of horror they're making is like early two thousands horror. I'm like fuck this. Right. There's like alternative rock playing over like everything. <laughs> Just some Lincoln Park. Yeah. I'm like there. go to hell movie. I don't need this shit. Yeah. So Nick Evangelist uh, is here. Yes, he is. Hello. Nice to see you, bud. He has nothing else to say for the pod. Nice to see you, pal. It's just hello, and that's it. You're not allowed to say anything else. Nick is here from, <laughs> from Ohio. He walks into my home with a tie-dye t-shirt on. I was going to mention that, too. That's fair. I didn't expect that. Let me get you a mic real quick. Yeah. <laughs> now we're pausing. No. Keep going. What else did you see? Fuck it. We'll do it live. We'll do it. <laughs> uh, one more movie. I saw uh, Phil Tippett's Mad God. Heard great things about this. Uh, really, really good movie. Really good movie. It's, um, I would say the first half of the movie is the best movie I've seen this year. If I was just judging wow. it off the freight, because it's extraordinary. Yeah. It's not really a story per se. It's just like a... It's just like a train of thought, I guess, and uh-huh. like like nothing makes like like literal sense. It's just like it's just like a string of consciousness by Phil Tippett, the great stop motion animator. Um, and it's it's like the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and and that's saying something because I've seen like a Serbian film. Was it trauma like in its in its gore and violence? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes far more foul. There, that's what it looked like for me. There's like you know, it's it's you know, it's a it's sort of like Dante's Inferno, and there's there is a sequence um, where the the I guess you could say the main character in heavy quotes uh. is just walking through this hallway of like giants that are hooked up to electric chairs, and they just but they're not. It's not killing the people; it's making them uh, shit profusely and just endlessly. So these, oh my god. What's going on? I'm giving Nick my old mic arm that's going to fall on him. It's not going to work. And it's going to be some instant karma. Oh, God. Yeah, see how you like it. Oh, this I, I don't. That's why I told you to <laughs> this is actually a new one. It's sort of funny, yeah. Uh, but, but no, yeah, so you... <laughs> Good luck to you, man. That's not going to work. I tried that already. You don't own any tools? I do. Why can't you just tighten it? Any tools for tightening a bolt? I got tools. I tighten my bolts all the time. Yeah? Yeah. 
I tighten my bolts just like anyone else. <laughs> One leg at a time. One leg at a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Just like the, the, the foul, horrible, disgusting imagery is like the, the entire movie. And it's just like, you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of Dante's in, Inferno and then eventually Paradise. And that's kind of that's kind of neat. But it's like so it's one of the most visually striking films I've ever seen in my life. Um, the second half gets a little too like because it's it's supposed to be like a stop motion masterpiece and for all intents and purposes it is but I thought the second half had like too much live action hmm. and that's the thing you don't expect going into it, is that it's actually kind of a weird blend of stop motion and live action stuff just the sewn together and it takes on a life of its own for sure um, and not not to say that those scenes are bad I just kind of wanted more of the stop motion stuff by that second half. Um, but a bizarre, trippy journey, unlike anything else. It's 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 horrifying and beautiful, um, and I don't fully understand it, but I think that's okay. Uh, and yeah, I highly recommend it. Very, very good movie. Yeah. Cool. Nick, Matt. you seen anything recently? Uh, I've already complained about what I've seen recently. Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah, I saw yeah, it too. Just, it's I terrible, just right? Uh, yeah, I was trying to be nice to it. He liked the other one better, the second one. No, 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 no. no. The I'm first sa- one? No, I'm saying I dislike the second one. Oh, right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, the, sec- no, the, sec- the second one's the most offensive for sure. Yeah. But like, in my opinion, like I'd rather a movie offend me than accomplish nothing. I agree with that. And so in a weird way, like while I find the second one more offensive, I like it more. I'd rather be offended. I agree with that. That's fine. That's fine. I agree with that. I just, any any uh, shows you're watching? Gotta watch the boys. I don't know, man. Boys it's, is it's, good. It's, I've been, I've been. It's it's the same shit I've been promoting for like, <laughs> yeah for five years. Yeah. yeah okay. I still haven't watched the boys yet. I'm almost there. I because I've been trying to catch up on other movies. But have now, we, have we talked about how they built a full like set of a urethra of a man's urethra? Yes, yeah, so we talked. About yes. That. Yeah. Yes. I mean. You can't get better better TV. Than I didn't that. realize they built a full set. I just knew that the guy went up their urethra. I figured no, they out. built a giant urethra for the guy to be inside of, and wow. they like filmed from inside of it. <laughs> it's that's amazing. It's beautiful. That is amazing. <laughs> it's art. It's art. <laughs> it's cinema, as Martin Scorsese would say. It's just not designed for Nico at all. But like, uh, no, the boys is so good. I think he would like it actually. God, it's it might be too mean for Nico. I don't know. It's a very mean show for sure. Yeah, I'm a nice guy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. I'm a cool guy. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a swell guy. <laughs> no, he's not. All right, we're going to do the other show now. Yes. Uh, that's it. Love you. See you next time. Until then. You better have a quote prepared. No, goodbye. <laughs> You're so bad at your job. Yeah. <laughs>